0: digital transformation lessons from a popular American TV comedy show, the death of ERP software, and general questions and answers related to digital transformation. Those are just a few things we're gonna cover today in episode 110 of Transformation Ground Control.
1: This is Transformation Ground Control.
0: Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 110. This podcast is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the people, process, and technology, and strategy sides of transformation. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys, and we help them reach the third stage of their transformation success. With me, as always, is my co-host, Kyler Sheetham. Kyler, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here and a great episode planned for you today. Uh pretty, pretty light episode, a very conversational episode, I would say. Um, we're going to open up the, segment, the opening segment talking about uh, the popular American TV show, a comedy show called South Park. Um, they have a humorous take on software deployments and uh, it sort of showcases some of the lessons and realities of digital transformation. So we're going to talk a bit about that. We're also going to take some questions from the question jar, which is from the audience, uh, people on social media that have posted questions or comments. Uh, We're going to get to some of those questions in that opening segment. And then later in the show, we're going to have Greg Benton on the show. And Greg is the chief strategy officer of Third Stage Consulting. And we're going to, he and I are going to talk about the death of ERP software as we know it. So we're going to talk about the pros and cons of ERP software, but also what some of the downsides are, what some of the alternatives are, and just what some of the plethora of options are uh, as you're navigating your digital strategy and your technology modernization plans for the future. And then finally, last but not least, in the third segment later in the show, we are going to have a, we're going to replay you a clip from a conference that we hosted not too long ago, a digital stratosphere conference where I take questions and answers from the audience related to all sorts of things related to digital transformation. So that's a pretty all-encompassing sort of conversation uh, as is much of today's episode. So, We're going to cover a lot of ground today, but before we jump into that, a couple uh, reminders. First of all, you can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So be sure to check out those new episodes every Wednesday. So that all being said, uh, you've got some thoughts in mind here. You've got this idea or a a sort of a story about uh, South Park. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Kyler?
1: Yeah. So... This morning, actually, um, I was going through a popular coffee spot drive-through after I dropped my children off, and I was kind of you know, dazed and confused. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, so mornings for us are always a little wild. So I got to the window, and there's a small talk with the person that's giving me the coffee. He's a, a younger man, um, teenage, young 20s, and he said, hey, what do you do for work? And I said, you know, just in, in passing, I'm a technology consultant. And he's like, Oh my gosh, have you seen that episode of South Park where they talk about the IntelliLink and the software in the school? So immediately I had to know what he was talking about. And I should preface this with I'm not a South, Car- South Park fan. South Park is, um, A little bit of crude humor, but it's one of the most popular shows here in the United States and globally, and it's actually out and based on South Park, Colorado, where we are based in Denver, Colorado. Uh, So the clips that I'm going to talk about, if you do watch them, just a little viewer discretion, is it is pretty crude humor, but it gives the opportunity to really lift the veil on all of the issues that can come from a software implementation. So let me take you through what the episode talks about. So Mr. Mackey is a faculty member at South Park Elementary where it's based, and he thinks that they need a new ERP system for the school. So they spend all this money, $20,000 to be exact, and they implement this new system. However, No one can get on the new system, and you have to be able to access the system to schedule appointments with your counselor or to turn in assignments. All of those things we know is kind of an LMS or learning management system, very normal for an education-based organization. So nobody can access it. So they call in the SMART technician. So the technician from the software company and he says, "Oh, well, you know, the issue with your access point is you really need to upgrade to the silver level of this package. So it's only going to be this much money, but it's going to give you all of these access and you know, fix all of these problems." So they end up upgrading to that and still have the same issues. One of the characters wants to make a counseling appointment because he's having some conflict with his younger brother. So he goes in to the counselor and says, hey, can I make an appointment with you? And the counselor says, no, no, you have to go through IntelliLink to make a counselor appointment. And so he was like, well, my username doesn't work. And it's like, well, because your brother doesn't have a username that's matched with your profile and all of these other barriers to entry to make a counseling appointment. And the kid is like, could I just talk to you as a counselor to make an appointment right now as opposed to to go through all these things? So they try and make an appointment and it ends up this like classic rock is playing, all the lights, the smart lights are turning on and off because they can't figure out how to use the system. Finally, the board of directors for the school board brings Mr. Mackey in and says, you know, this is a huge failure. We can't get anybody to use this. Their exact line is nobody uses it because it turns on the sprinklers outside when that happens. And he said, don't worry. I've hired a specialist to come in as a faculty member to take over this. And we really need to upgrade to the gold package to make sure that we can get all of these different functionalities in. So he introduces this new employee whose name is Pat. And then all of a sudden, he starts yelling at Pat to say, what are you going to do about this problem? How are you going to fix this? Completely kind of scapegoating onto right. this new employee. And then Sounds he looks familiar. at her and he- yeah, he looks at her and he goes, "You know what, Pat? You're fired because this was a huge failure." So, oh. so he he brought that in. And at the end of the day, they had spent all of this money on a system with a software vendor in the background saying, oh, if you want to actually utilize it, you need to upgrade to all of these different packages. And then also brought in the change in culture standpoint of trying to bring in new employees, spending more money on resources, and then ultimately blaming those employees for the implementation failure. So as soon as this nice young man introduced me to this episode of South Park, I had to share it on the show to give a pop culture reference of how truly, (laughs) truly um, normalized that failure can be. So now that you've heard that story, Eric, I don't know if you're a South Park fan or not. um, I I
0: was. Early on, I was like when I was in my 20s and then then I stopped watching it for a long time. I didn't know, even though they still made new episodes until Mm -hmm. more recently, my teenage son's. Started getting into it. So now, just in the last couple of weeks, I've been watching many episodes of the newer South Parks with my sons, but I have not seen this episode.
1: Well, it is, sounds very familiar, I must assume.
0: It does. It's really interesting because that's, I mean, that just for some additional context, and in addition to what you already told us about South Park, it's a show that covers a lot of uh, current events and they're sort of known for the speed at which they can put out new episodes and they can respond very quickly to modern day current events um with the production the way they do their production is is very fast and they're they're sort of known for that so it's interesting to hear something that's not not that this isn't a relevant topic but it's sort of like this ongoing issue in the technology space i'd be i'm just curious why they decided to cover this topic and how they know so much about it to know enough that this is a, a common challenge or maybe they've just been at the end user level and seen seen deployments like this in some way but uh Whoever wrote that episode perhaps has, has seen it from the other side. So I, I find it really interesting that even a show like South Park or any TV show would know intuitively to make that into their script and make a make a whole episode about it. I think that's fascinating. And it does sound very familiar, of course.
1: Yeah. Well, if you'd like to watch this episode, it's season 17, episode five, um, and it's called Problems with IntelliLink. So I'd love any sort of feedback if you've seen it in the comments um, or if you've seen any sort of clips of it on YouTube, because it is dangerously familiar. And thank you to the young man at the coffee shop who educated me about a pop culture reference that is a true reality and representation of what it means to go through a technology implementation, especially in a public sector, very complex school environment.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. And what's what's funny about that too, is I I just know this because lately I've been watching the show, as I mentioned with with my sons, and we've been watching the most recent season That's where we started and we've sort of been working backwards. But I know they're on episode 26. So the fact that he remembered an episode from, what, nine years ago or 10 years ago, however long that was, that's that's even more interesting that he recalls that.
1: Yeah. And it aired in the middle of COVID. Um, So I think that's why that current event... Piece is really, um, especially when we've seen in the public sector, specifically for education, technology, digital transformations were very, very prevalent at that point. To so, so uh, you know, to your point, it it probably was something that was was very real of a struggle at yeah. the time. So, um, so definitely drop in the comments if if you've seen it. Um, I, but I had to bring it as our hot topic, a little bit different than we typically do. Um, but just lets you be able to experience kind of a, a comedic relief of what um, a digital transformation looks like.
0: Yeah, that's great. If we didn't have copyright issues, we could uh, go ahead and play the clip, but uh, we would certainly invite some copyright issues if we do that. So yeah, check it out. I, I'll have to check it out too. I have not seen that episode. So that's that's very cool.
1: Excellent. Well, let's get to your questions. As you said, a lot of Q&A today. So these are real-time questions that I pull from Eric's social media and I put them in my little question jar here. Um, So if you'd like to ask a question, you can always comment on his YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, and I pull those comments and then I ask him in real time on the show. So he's never seen these questions before. These are, you know, hot off, Hot off the digital media. So with that, let's get started.
0: I like how you bridge the gap between technology. You're pulling from social media, digital social media, but you're writing it on sticky notes and putting them in a jar. I like that. You're I kind am. of bridging the gap between old yeah, school and modern technology.
1: You know, I love, and, and little sidebar, I bought 27 colors of sticky notes from Amazon and my husband was appalled. I'm like, <laughs> these are work related. Okay. This is a work expense. So yes, I'll you bill you need, for those. He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So this is actually a perfect question to to bridge the gap between what we were just talking about. Um, So it starts with, dear Eric, and I really wanted to include that because it's very formal. Nice. I know. Can you please explain the difference between public versus private sector in a digital transformation? Wow.
0: (laughs) Well, um, fortunately for whoever asked that question, we have a whole video on that where um, another... CEO of another company that does a lot of private, or I'm sorry, a lot of public sector type of consulting. Uh, he and I have a discussion about what some of those differences are, and that's something you can find on the Third Stage YouTube channel. Is that right, Kylie? Yes,
1: absolutely. Okay. And I'll, I'll link it right here in the comments um, so you guys can check it out.
0: Okay. So we, we had a more of a deeper dive conversation, but I'd say in general, some of the highlights that I recall from that conversation and just from my own experience is that in general, I mean, there's a lot of commonalities, first of all, regardless of what industry you're in, there's just a lot of things that are common challenges and opportunities in digital transformations. But some of the differences I'd say are that public sector is more likely to have older technologies. Uh, A lot of government entities throughout the world seem to have gone through their last major transformation, maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, somewhere in there, and some of them even further back. So not to say there aren't private sector organizations in the same boat, but the public sector organizations seem to be more commonly on older technologies, green screen, mainframe sorts of systems. That's one big one. Um, I think another one is in the public sector, you're more likely to have highly tenured and or unionized uh, people. So labor unions and labor groups that are protecting or or their, uh, their intent is to protect the employees, which may sound like it has nothing to do with digital transformation, but it does particularly from a change management perspective. So you're likely to get more, change management complexity, I'd say, in the public sector, although change management is is extremely complex and difficult in any organization, but even more so in the public sector. Um, You know, and then there's the technological needs are just different, you know, with government entities, they just, it, it doesn't fit the normal model of a lot of ERP systems of providing inventory management, financials and things like that. Government's more likely to have some pretty unique needs, you know, because they're doing something different. They're providing a service to their stakeholders in their community depending on what their scope of their their part of the organization is. So they, there's more of a likelihood that they're going to have to go with like a either a, a best of breed or multiple system sort of model and or targeted solutions that focus on some of those needs within um, within the government space. So for example, Tyler Munis is a, um, a software vendor that focuses on the public sector. And so that's just, uh, the, the players are oftentimes different. The software vendors that are more commonly used are, commonly different in that space. But I'd say those are probably three of the biggest differences. And then I'd say majority though, I'd say 80% or more of the things that you do in a public sector or should be doing in the public sector versus private sector are very similar. Um, So it is important to know the differences, but even more important to know what the similarities are because those are pretty common.
1: Yeah. I think from that conversation, I learned that there is a big challenge when it comes to administration changes. So think about your entire transformation team um, turning over. And you kind of have to manage through that. So um, I know I'll I'll pop the um, the video with Avero, our partners, um, and so you can see it there. But if you do have sp- experience and feedback on digital transformation in the public sector versus the private sector, please just pop your advice in the comments here as well. Okay, doke. What do we have next? All right. This is a, you know, a very complex question, so good luck to you. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. How do you influence stakeholders to change or people that are difficult to work with to be aligned with your project goals?
0: Wow. That is a complex question. Um, So I'd say, well, first of all, the more clarity you have on what your strategy for the transformation is, the, the why, the how, you know what are you doing in this transformation? Why are you doing it? How does it align with your overall organizational strategy? That clarity is really important, and and surprisingly, to a lot of people, just having the clarity of what the general direction is and being very clear about that can provide it can overcome a lot of the misalignment issues you have with people that are difficult to work with and or um, don't align, you know, philosophically or with the work they do. They're not aligned with the overall organization. So the more you can bridge that gap by being clear and having a very clearly defined strategy that's going to mitigate some of the risk. Because if you think about it, a lot of times we see people that are quote unquote difficult to work with in transformations, but they're usually not. You know, it's it's sort of like you see situations where, you know, day to day, these people weren't terrible people um, prior to the transformation, but then you go through a transformation and you disrupt the world and then they become difficult to work with. So I, now, there are exceptions. There are some people that are just very difficult to work with. I, I think we've all worked with those people at multiple points in our careers, but. I'd say that's a that's a minority. That's more of an exception. So, so I think you have to look at what what openings or what culture are you creating that will either cause people to be difficult and not collaborate and not aligned with your vision and strategy for the organization versus ones that are. And uh, yeah, a lot of times that comes down to the leadership. So, you know, I think at first you have to look more of a top down leadership approach and make sure you've got that right. Make sure you've got clarity on strategy, and then you get down to the micro level of individuals and understand you know, understand what their drivers are. Cause a lot of times it's coming from a place of uh, uh, not understanding, but it's coming from a place of uh, from a good place. You know, they, they want to help, they want to do well, but there's something in the transformation. There's some threat to them that's causing, you know, this darker side of their personality or their behavior to come out. So you have to understand what's driving that. Cause a lot of times it's, uh, there's something there that they don't have control over. They feel like they don't have control over, but you potentially do as a leader and or a project team member. So I think just that empathy and, and assuming the best to some degree, like assuming that people mean well and that when there is odd behavior or difficult behavior, usually there's something behind that. There's something driving that. I, just as an example that, that I commonly see, because I deal a lot with uh, CIOs, CFOs, more at the C-levels, more who I interact with, with our client base. And even at that level, you see sometimes people act irrationally and sometimes flat out mean to either me as a consultant or our team as consultants or, and or their own internal team. And what you, when you really peel back the layer and you really get to know someone, a lot of times you find that, well, that person's under a ton of pressure because the person before them lost their job. They got fired because the that transformation failed. So that person's already in the hot seat. They're under a lot of pressure and you know they're human and the stress starts to build up. So then you start to become more of a you know, as a consultant, you have to be sort of an amateur uh, therapist and really understand what makes them tick and figure out how to neutralize that or, or help them basically help them deal with whatever stress they're under. So that's just one example I commonly see. But but our team dealing with all levels of the organization and our clients, you, you see all kinds of different drivers of behavior. So I think just empathy and understanding what's driving and causing it is, is probably the big thing. Then you can go attack those things from a from a change management perspective.
1: Excellent. Well, that's a a great answer. And I will say Eric does elaborate on this a little bit further in the Q&A at the end of the episode, because we had a lot of questions about resistance and overall alignment. Um, So you can go ahead and and stay tuned for kind of more on that if you want to get some more information. So let's do one more here. Oh, this is a good one. This is more of a question for content for you, which I think is a good idea. So it, and maybe you can give us some um, videos that you've done on this, but this is, can we get a video on the top 10 ERP successes versus failures?
0: Oh yeah. I, I actually saw that comment on, I think it was YouTube or something, but um, yes, uh, we certainly could. I think that the tricky part is two twofold. One is that And this might be getting too much behind the scenes of third stage, but one thing that we have to be mindful of is our our clients' confidentiality. So, um, it's difficult for us to come out and say, "Here's an organization. Here's their name. Here's what they did well, and potentially the things they didn't do well that they took away and learned from it." We do try to do that, and we do have some videos where we interview clients and we interview people from our client project teams to talk about that. But a lot of times, there's confidentiality issues with that if if they're not, you know, if they don't have the right approvals to do that. Um, the other thing is that a lot of the failures, when I do the, like the top 10 failures of all time lists, I base that on public domain because a lot, because I'm actually involved with a lot of failures as an expert witness and I can't talk about those. So, which is strange and it, and it makes it a little bit difficult to put together those top 10 lists because I can't call out or mention anything I know from being an expert witness. So I have to base those top 10 lists on public domain information. The reason I bring this up is because you don't, people, the shock factor of a failure gets more eyeballs and more readers and viewers than a case study of a, a transformation that was really successful. I don't know why it is, but people would rather hear about the failure and what the lessons are versus the one that went well and the lessons that went along with that. Cause I've tried it actually. i put some more success based videos out on my YouTube channel. They just don't do nearly as well as the failures. And so, you know, I kind of roll with the, the human nature factor there and, and give them, give the audience what they want. But it sounds like, uh, there's a subset that would like to hear more successes. So that's certainly something we could do. It's a little bit more difficult to be frank, partly because successes are less common than failures, but also because of the the other issues I mentioned here.
1: Yeah. And um, that makes a lot of sense. I'll pop um, the top lessons um, from A Thousand Implementations, which is a micro book that Eric wrote. So you can um, take that. That really the lessons is how we provide value in that while providing um, autonomy to our clients, uh, which anyone in client services can understand. But that resource particularly features tactics um, that uh, you can utilize in any transformation environment um, as well. So I would say lessons learned from successes is usually a little bit more um, what we focus on from a content perspective. Although a few episodes back in transformation ground control, we did feature some success case studies, um, that we have found again within the public domain. So if you want to kind of hear what that looks like from a business standpoint, then you can absolutely listen to that episode, which again, I'll link right here.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I was gonna, I was actually just going back to look and see which, which episodes those were, but, um, it was probably about five episodes, I want to say, five episodes ago, four or five, something like that. But those are really good ones. I forgot that we had covered that. Um, in fact, we covered them. Um, well, first of all, we have episode 100, where we did the top 10 digital transformation interviews of 2022. And that was more, not so much focusing just on success, but it's more, those were the best interviews that we did in the in the podcast. Um, but it's actually episode 105. Uh, I think 105 and 106 were the two, if I recall, or if I'm looking at my phone as I just pulled it up. If I'm looking at that right, those are the two episodes you want to check out because we do talk about some public domain successes there. So that's a great question and a good follow-up. I'm glad we have some past episodes we can at least point you to in the meantime. And now I've got some more content ideas for my YouTube channel. So thank you for that.
1: There you go. And that's actually a great segue into your conversation with Greg, who is our chief strategy officer, Greg Benton here at Third Stage and just a wealth of knowledge. I actually just screenshotted him um, some comments that talked about how smart he was um, yeah, in our, sure. our live stream. So um, definitely excited to get to this. Uh, if you do have questions during the podcast live screen- live stream for Eric and Greg, you can pop them in the comments and we will answer them um, as well. So we still uh, pay close attention and interact with those comments as well.
0: Yeah. Even though this entire podcast is pre-recorded, we do uh, we do watch the comments as they're rolling in, as we stream the video and after too. So um, yeah, we're going to have Greg Benton on the show later or next, after we take a quick break, we're going to have him on the show to talk about the death of ERP software as we know it. And the whole idea here is a, to be, controversial and disruptive, which I, I love to do because it irritates some people that don't want this truth to come out. But believe it or not, there are options to big ERP vendors in the marketplace. You don't have to go use SAP or Oracle or Microsoft. And I know a lot of people listening right now hate hearing that and it's like nails on a chalkboard to them, but but it's true. So if you're not a software vendor though, and you're a you're a buyer, you're an enterprise technology project team, you're going to want to hear this conversation for sure. And even if you're a software vendor too, I think it's really important to think about and understand what the macro trends are in the space and how it might affect you as a, as a vendor too. So we're going to talk about the death of ERP software as we know it, what some of the alternatives are and how to navigate all these different options you have in the marketplace now that include single ERP systems, but there's a lot of other options that you may not be aware of or uh, may not realize are more viable than you might think. So we'll, we'll talk through that as well. So we'll have Greg Benton on in a moment, but first we'll take a quick, a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
1: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our Thought Leadership section.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 110. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, as well as YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We stream every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S. uh, to those platforms, and you can certainly go listen to it after the fact as well. And uh, be sure to subscribe, like, listen, comment, all that good stuff. It helps the algorithm. It helps get the word out. So we really appreciate uh, in advance any comments you have. So speaking of comments, we're going to have a a series of comments and questions from myself and the audience uh, here. Uh, We're going to talk with Greg Benton, who is the Chief Strategy Officer of Third Stage Consulting. He's based here in the U.S. where both Kyler and I are. And we're going to talk about the death of ERP software as we know it, what some of the options are, pros and cons of ERP software, traditional ERP software, how to navigate the decision of what type of solution or solutions might be the best fit for your organization, all that good stuff we're going to talk about here with Greg. Um, And by the way, too, um, before just one last caveat before I jump in, uh, we are, if you didn't know, third stage in this podcast is 100% technology agnostic. So we are not paid or affiliated. We're not paid by or affiliated with any software vendors in the marketplace. So we have no dog in this fight. And so I just want to make that clear because a lot of times people will hear, hear us make statements about how there's options other than ERP, and they assume that we must sell something that competes with the RPA. We don't sell software, so we have no no dog in the fight. So with that, all, all that being said, Greg, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks, Eric. Good afternoon, good morning. Um, everybody that's tuning into the live stream today, I think we're gonna have a great discussion. Looking forward to it. Yes,
0: this is, this is a, a very interesting topic and one that uh, you and I have discussed at, at great depth and great detail uh, over the years. And uh, it's one of those topics that seems to generate a lot of discussion. I, I imagine there'll be some on the live stream here today that that agree that ERP software is dying and ERP software as we know it is dying. There's others that may think that is absolute garbage and ERP software is the answer to everything. So we're here to really look at unpacking the pros and cons of both, um, both ERP software as well as other options within the marketplace, other technological options in the marketplace. But before I jump in with some of these questions and discussion points, maybe just tell us a little, little bit about your background, Greg.
2: Sure, Eric. Um, you know, I've uh, been about uh, 25 years working with different systems and different technologies, both in implementation of digital transformations and ERP software, uh, as well as, uh, in some cases, remediation of implementations that haven't gone so well. Uh, in all of that time, definitely been looking at the, uh, the business needs of the client of the organization that we're working with in terms of what needs to be done for enterprise operations. And uh, enterprise operations is really taking over for what has traditionally been enterprise resource planning software. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to talk about today is how those systems interoperate and what's coming next, really.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's an interesting conversation for sure. And I, I want to dive into the whole idea and understanding of, of ERP software in general. If we kind of look at the history of ERP, which if you, if you aren't familiar, that's enterprise resource planning um, systems that tie together a company's operations into a single unified platform. That's sort of the really high level summary of what an ERP system is. And ERP systems were created decades ago as a way to really give organizations a way out of the problem that they were having at the time of having siloed data sets and siloed systems and a spaghetti bowl of different technologies that they were trying to deploy and use to run their businesses. ERP systems came along decades ago to provide sort of a a one-stop shop, if you will, or one solution that could tie together your entire organization. So it makes total sense where the origins came from and why. ERP systems are around and the the need that they fill. Um, what, what do you see as some of the advantages of that model of having a single ERP system to run your business? And then we'll come back to what some of the downsides and alternatives are to, to ERP systems, but what are some of the yeah. strengths and why organizations do it?
2: You know, all the way along and you just, you just outlined it perfectly. So over the last two decades, ERP systems have really evolved into, um, you know, greater and greater capabilities for back office functions within organizations and in that time they've really just kind of grown into uh, siloed operational um, work streams within the organization that really aren't connected that really don't uh, come together in a in a uh, cohesive fashion and so uh, enterprise systems and um the the software vendors themselves, started taking on more and more of this functionality and putting it into a more integrated technology platform. And that integration, that passing of data between work streams and being able to make knowledgeable decisions based upon all of the data coming into a a common source of the truth is, is the big advantage with enterprise software as we have it today. Um, the other advantage is that, uh, especially with the advent of multi-tenant cloud technologies, there is continual upgrades to the, uh, to the software systems that are, are leading edge out there. So cloud-native applications can be updated, upgraded, and uh, it does away with the, the old, um, you know, biannual upgrades of the entire software system uh, that used to occur. So unified data, as well as bringing all of your applications and functional elements into one common repository so it can be managed under a single umbrella.
0: Right. Yeah. So it solves a definitive problem that existed prior to ERP software in in terms of providing that unified system and the the constant upgrades in the in the multi-tenant model that you described sounds sounds good right it sounds like that's what we all want we want an integrated system we sounds want like a it. single platform sounds great so why in the world would we be here to talk about some of the downside risks of ERP software cuz it sounds sounds almost too good to be true so what <laughs> what are what are some of those downside risks of ERP systems and why why would a company find any sort of problem or flaw with that model whether we're talking about SAP or Oracle or Microsoft or any of the big ERP software providers. What what are some of the downside risks of those those types of solutions?
2: Well, what a great segue because um, it does sound too good to be true, and in fact, it is too good to be true. Uh, the problem with that that model is that there are certain functions within an organization that really just aren't done well by uh, a blanket or uniform ERP system, and so the um, the 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 next piece of this is really to go to a best-of-breed solution and no enterprise or organization actually has you know complete um, uniform enterprise systems as legacy systems they've got a whole lot of manufacturing execution systems uh, supply chain systems in healthcare its clinical systems That are unrelated to the core ERP, but have to function in order to make that business operate in a uh, in a meaningful and valuable, valuable way. Right. And so the uh, the best of breed um, approach started taking over for uniform ERP because people had to find better ways of of managing their business and being able to uh, manage the cost centers within their business as well um right and so that is that is why that uniform erp that seems to be the panacea is is really not the uh the end game for most enterprise organizations out there
0: yeah even the ones that are leaning heavily into the idea of a single unified erp system and they they strongly want a single unified erp system more yeah. often than not they find that that just isn't going to get them all the way there they're going to need some sort of bolt-ons or you know, ways to fill in some of the gaps of what that ERP system cannot do. So, right. um, you know, it, it, it's interesting that, you know, in, in I always look at the ERP software industry and, and the tech space in general, the enterprise tech space in general, is sort of a pendulum that swings back and forth and you had, you know, I'd say in the early two thousands or up until the early two thousands, it seemed like the ERP software model was really gaining a lot of traction and a lot of momentum. For reasons we've discussed here. But then what happened in the early 2000s is you had, you mentioned best of breed. And, and just for those that may not understand that term, best of breed would be instead of one system that does everything within an organization, instead of doing that, you would go out by different functions and find different technologies that can handle that function really well. So you might go by, you know, financial and core accounting system, but then you might go find another system that handles warehouse management, another one that handles CRM, HR, whatever. So that's the best of breed model but what ended up happening in the early 2000s was you had two uh two upstart companies at the time that were not very well known which were salesforce and workday Um, they came along and sort of disrupted that erp model and salesforce for example came along with a really good crm solution that could do crm better than a lot of erp systems could same with workday workday came along and provided an hr solution that did hcm you know heaping capital management and hr tech better than most erp systems so they kind of came in and attacked the vulnerabilities of that single ERP model and really started to chip away at, at uh, some of the some of the market share there. Do you see that trend continuing or do you, do you see you know beyond Workday, beyond Salesforce? Do you see other upstart competitors or other alternatives that will sort of chip away at the ERP model?
2: I do. Absolutely. The. Um... You know, the, the interoperability of these systems, and you just described a, a scenario that is, is true in most cases, uh, Workday as a great HCM solution. Um, the finance and supply chain functions, especially in healthcare, um, you know, very often handled by Infor, Oracle, uh, some of the traditional ERP systems, and you, fi- you commonly find that pairing. Uh, Workday and Infor or Oracle in in many organizations. Um, UKG does a great job with workforce management. So you commonly find the applications under Kronos or UKG uh, along with two enterprise systems. So you've got in some cases, three or four ERP systems, enterprise systems, bolt-ons, edge solutions. That, that are all working together. Um, that used to be a real problem. And that used to be a, an integration challenge that was met by you know, basically sitting and uh, coding with an internal IT organization, the, uh, the hardwiring between those, those applications and getting them to speak to one another. Um, there are new technologies out there, uh, Palantir, Snowflake, Databricks, that actually allow for an interoperation of those disparate applications and systems, mm-hmm. and that really is changing the way that people bridge to a, a new ERP system, a new data and uh, digital transformation. Um, it also allows you to bring all of that information to, into a single uh, repository of data, a data lake, a data warehouse, and then mine that for actionable insights into the business overall. So, um, you know, and depending on the industry and depending on the number of edge solutions or disparate ERP systems within an organization, bringing it together with that interoperability hub or um, as we call it, uh, mission control at the center is is a new way of, of bringing together that best of breed solution. Right.
0: Yeah. That's that's super interesting. So it seems like the, back to the pendulum analogy, it seems like, you know, the pendulum had kind of swung towards single ERP systems maybe 20 years ago. And don't get me wrong. I think there's always going to be organizations, of course, that are going to want and will use single ERP systems. But now it seems like the pendulum swinging a little bit back toward the middle, maybe towards more of a, either a hybrid or a best of breed approach or, or something that um, is maybe lower risk too. I think that's an important thing to talk about is, is the risk profile of these uh, different types of deployments. But real quickly, before I ask you a follow-up question on that, I wanted to ask the audience real quick, if you could just comment in the chat on, if you were to decide right now, what's what's the best answer? And I know this is a totally binary, unrealistic <laughs> <a> question, <laughs> because usually it's somewhere in the middle, but I want to just get sort of a knee-jerk reaction from the audience here of, what do you think? Single ERP systems, is that the future, or is it more the best-of-breed interoperability sort of model that Greg's talking about here? What do you think the the trend is gonna be uh, going forward in the future. I'd love to hear just what the audience's thoughts are on that. Um, But while they're commenting on that, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Greg, on on sort of the risk profile of these different types of deployments, because it seems like a lot of organizations, especially now with some of the forced migrations off of on-premise solutions and into cloud solutions, there's a lot of risk aversion, it seems like in the marketplace right now to where organizations aren't necessarily excited or willing to invest tons of money and time into a high-risk endeavor, like ripping out and replacing their entire back-end ERP system because a software vendor told them they had to. Um, so it's creating a, you know, sort of a risk aversion, it seems, in our client base and in, in the market in general. What what do you, do you, how do you assess risk of these two different scenarios, um, you know, in terms of cost-benefit or just overall operational risk or uh, financial risk, you know, when you look at single ERP versus interoperability and best of breed, how do you compare the risk profile of those two?
2: Well, it, it, it's actually pretty easy to make a, uh, a comparison between the two. Um, you've got to look at your total cost of ownership for the organization, and one of your favorite uh, one of your favorite words, "it depends," right. um, is the way that we uh, we look at assessing this. But um, if you're looking at a uniform solution from a single ERP vendor, and you're going going to be putting putting that in place over a period of two and sometimes three years. Um, the risk to the business is that you're going to be undergoing this this major project. And traditionally, that's been pulling people out of their day jobs, putting them onto a project team, and undergoing this immense uh, implementation of of new technology, of new software, and then not doing a very good job of managing the the change that's going on in the organization. So just think about uh, the idea of, Moving into a system that will give you early advantage and value. So, if you can connect those disparate systems and look at the enterprise in a holistic manner going forward, put together your journey up front. You know, invest in a uh, in a phase zero at the the very be- beginning or outset of a digital transformation, and find out where you can get some. Um, immediate value out of the system by connecting those disparate uh, applications systems and, and data sources right and bring it into a, um, a data repository that will allow you to operate your existing business while you're in a, while you're uh, implementing this new enterprise software um, that is a much easier path to quantify in terms of value and return on investment than just going into a, uh, a wholesale uh, kind of lift and shift into a, a new enterprise solution. So I think um, getting back to it depends. You need, really need to look at what your ongoing operations are going to require and how many systems you are looking to replace with the, uh, with the new enterprise or digital transformation approach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a lot of organizations too would be well served to really just sort of take a step back and not get too caught up in um, the term legacy or um, technology debt, technical debt. You know, that's a term that industry analysts and software vendors will use almost as though you've got a bunch of technical debt. Therefore, you need to upgrade your systems now. That's sort of the the sales messaging that you hear from the industry a lot. And that could be true. It could be relevant for some organizations. But I think too often, organizations don't look at what they've got. Sometimes if you've got a 10-year-old ERP system, it may not be the latest and greatest, but it may be working just fine. It may not be worth the risk of ripping out that entire system, spending a ton of money on it that may or may not deliver business value and, and going forward in that way. So I think organizations really just need to take a step back and really look at who they are and where they're headed and what their needs are. And really use that as the guiding north star versus what the vendor sales messaging are, which which oftentimes are in conflict with with what your needs are. We're here with Greg Benton from Third Stage Consulting talking about the death of ERP software as we know it. We've got a lot of ground left to cover. Of course, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. Give me the
1: sense to wonder download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 110. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, as well as YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm here with Greg Benton from Third Stage Consulting, talking about the death of ERP software as we know it. Here's an interesting uh, comment from from the audience here. Uh, This is from John Meadows on on LinkedIn. He says, "What what is key is that data accessibility is key for planning and reporting and ensuring that there's a control around reducing the silos of data that could exist it is this fragmenting of information that leads to, to these issues. Um, so I thought that was a, a, a really interesting point. Um, and then John also had another follow on or a, a, another comment that I thought was really good, which is, I think some businesses for some businesses, it's key to have best of breed solutions, but smaller orgs will not be able to cope with the total cost of ownership of a federated network of best of breed platforms. So there's room for both. It depends sure. basically is what, what are saying?
2: So, so it gets back to, it depends, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah, that seems to be a, <laughs> that, that will probably be a recurring theme in this discussion here today, I would imagine.
2: Um, but, but that's that's also pointing out why it's it's never a great idea to go with a uh, an enterprise solution that's made to be a blanket solution for every industry, every client. Um, right. You really have to look at industry solutions. Who else has done what we are planning on doing and how well has it worked? Right. Um, that's, that's really a big part of that phase zero of really understanding your organization, the readiness for change and what have others done that are best practices, right? And what is the return that they expected and what was the return that they received?
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, that's a key right there is just looking at your, your business case and your, your. Yeah total cost of ownership estimates, your business benefits, the business value that you expect to get, and really taking a quantitative objective view. I think that's really a key part of it, and being realistic, too, in those assumptions around your your business case is important. Um, Another comment that came up here in the discussion from the audience, uh, actually two people brought this up, which is these are great points and something that's definitely worth diving into, Um, but Philippe on LinkedIn brings up the whole idea of platform thinking as does just to give credit where credit is due here. Uh, Brian on LinkedIn said the same thing, platforms and composable ERP. Um, That's an interesting angle too, somewhat similar, but somewhat different to that interoperability model that you were talking about. Um, And when I think of platforms, I think of like, uh, you know, Salesforce has the force platform where you've got third party developers that are creating point solutions and specific tailored targeted solutions that do specific things, but it, it really creates this whole ecosystem of, of innovation and developers that are creating solutions on a common platform might be different systems. It might be different applications, but it's on the common platform. So there's some benefit of having that, that commonality there. What are your thoughts on this whole trend or this whole thought around, uh, composable platforms and that sort of thing?
2: Oh, I, I think, uh, you pointed it out very well, um, um Salesforce service now you know there are many different platforms out there that are allowing for real innovation on top of and beside uh, erp systems so both legacy and new systems with low code no code capabilities of really connecting them and um, managing specific functions within the organization that uh, in the past really required uh, customization of the software right so now you can configure the organization in a way that is is kind of putting together Legos that um, <laughs> you can you can manage a discrete supply chain solution that you need with a um, with an integration for a, an overall um, for instance sap deployment with some of the low-code, no-code options that are out there. Uh, Salesforce can integrate with many different systems um, just very easily through known APIs. And you can develop specific functionality around that platform that is going to allow you to uh, really replace some of the tribal knowledge within organizations that used to just because we know our business so well, um, we're able to get value out of, um, uh, you know, uh, efficiencies that we create within the, the organization, innovation in, in product development, things like that can now be handled or managed with a lot of the, uh, the low code, no code, uh, type of, uh, platform development and integration.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. You know, th- we hadn't talked about the low code, no code, uh, piece of it, uh, but that is a way that, you can simplify the deployment of any sort of software, whether you're talking ERP or more of a, a best of breed, composable ERP uh, sort of sort of model. Um, so it sounds like then there's there's alternatives, right? In, instead of looking at let's just say SAP S/4HANA and Microsoft D e three sixty five and Oracle ERP Cloud and uh, NetSuite Workday or not Workday so much, but other than Workday, the other ones I mentioned are sort of your traditional ERP solutions, although Workday is becoming more of an ERP solution as they add financial yes. capabilities and other, sure. other systems, which, which is another interesting trend. As you see sort of at the top of the market, you've got the big ERP providers like the ones I just mentioned, and then you've got sort of the, I'll call them the mid-tier ones like the Salesforce and the Workdays that became prominent through their targeted best of breed models. But now Salesforce and Workday, as two examples, are expanding their capabilities to really compete more head-to-head with the, the ERP model, which I find super fascinating. It's sort of like they're moving upstream, big ERP vendors are trying to move downstream, and they're kind of colliding in the middle there, uh, in the middle of the market. Um, what uh, do you think, what, what are your predictions on where that battle goes or where that where that, where that, where that trend goes?
2: Well, I think that uh, you pointed it out perfectly. The, uh, the big ERP vendors used to be known as... Um, where uh, the organizations where old ERP systems, or old systems went to die. So kind of a, a boneyard of disparate applications that were brought together under a single technology umbrella. And they've seen that um, you know rewriting those systems on a new technology foundation and expanding out into more and more of the edge solutions, as we used to call them, are what the big ERP systems are doing. Um, you know the platforms at the bottom that uh, you talked about, uh, Salesforce, ServiceNow, um, even UKG is is kind of in that in that same category. I, I think they are colliding, um, and it's it's referring more and more of organizations that we're speaking to to that um, you know best of breed model. Uh, going back into, let's let um, UKG do what they do best. Um, they don't necessarily go into the the financial applications or the supply chain side so much, but workforce management they they handle extremely well. Um, same with the uh, you know the workday piece of it. Even though they're expanding into finance and supply chain now as a full ERP solution. Um, you know, their their core value seems to be in HCM. So uh, mm-hmm. I do see them colliding in the middle and, you know, organizations are going to have to decide upfront, you know, which direction they're going to go. What is the lowest risk for my organization in terms of, you know, the two and three year journey. And I want to make sure that I'm not going to be having an obsolete system by the time I get to the end of that two to three year journey and digital transformation. Um, and so I'm going to, uh, lower my risk by working with, you know, the best solution that's out there for me. Um, and I, I think that's where that's been kind of lost with many of the big ERP systems really kind of pushing, uh, organizations into more and more software coming from a single source rather than this kind of best of breed approach. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Yeah, just coming back to the audience here, um, first of all, I want to sort of uh, maybe call out where some people are joining from today. We've got people from all over the world joining us here today. Um, we've got Manoj from Delhi, India, uh, Ryan from Denver, um, someone whose name I can't see from London, UK, uh, Tim from <laughs> Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, Third Stage Consulting, uh, you, a company you and I know really well, Greg, uh, joining from Denver. Uh, someone else from London, uh, Pakistan, India, Washington DC, India, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, UK. Uh, a couple more from India, Jamaica, uh, Germany, uh, Chennai, India. So a lot of uh, global attendance here today. So thank you everyone for joining all over from all over the world. A um, couple comments I'll get to here real quickly. Uh, this is from Python Writer on YouTube. I just discovered this YouTube channel. A few minutes ago by an ERP Next Review. Greetings from the Philippines. So thank you for joining today, and glad you found the YouTube yeah. channel to join us here today. Um, but here's a question from Kyler, my podcast co-host here. Uh, really good question around how do you ensure all these applications are staying true or aligned with core business objectives? So regardless of whether you go single ERP or interoperability, best breed platform focused approach. Regardless of what path you're going down. How do you ensure that these applications are staying aligned with your business objectives? What are your thoughts? Oh, I,
2: I think uh, Eric and Kyler, that comes back to that original original plan, right? Um, as an organization, from a, a leadership standpoint, you should definitely be putting putting together the objectives of the organization for the next, you know, one, two, three years, and then making sure that um, the uh, the expenditures are going to be realistic in terms of your overall budget and your total cost of ownership. And you know there's no such thing as full replacement. There's not a rip and replace strategy that's going to work well for organizations. You have uh, legacy systems that are going to need to be um, sunsetted. Um, so the sequence with which you go into the, the entire digital transformation really important and that's where it gets back to that let's make sure that we have relevant applications and systems that are going to run our business today and three and five years from now we want to make sure that we're sequencing or sunsetting or consolidating the applications that are are currently running you know uh, important functions within the organization so that's that's how you maintain that uh that relevance of the the technology that is a part of your digital transformation, is making sure that everything is in a complete plan um, going forward. Many organizations, surprisingly, don't do that planning process up front. And that's where they get into trouble, is suddenly they run into a obsolescence or a decommission of a system and need to immediately replace something. And that's where you uh, you get into real trouble.
0: Yeah. And to your point, if you're operating without a plan or you're operating in a reactive way because you have to do something now because you've, you know, you're going to lose support on your current system or the old system, the legacy system is broken and isn't going to support your business for growth. You know, if you wait till those breaking points, if you will, that makes it a lot more tempting to just jump in and start making decisions without having a clear and deliberate strategy. So the more you can get ahead of that, I, I totally agree. You, you want to have a, deliberate plan and strategy that really weighs your options and looks at you know looks at the different paths you have makes a decision on going forward in a certain direction that is aligned with your business objectives back back to um kyler's question or or point and most importantly you want to also recognize that there are risks to whatever path you're going down so even if you choose the one that's best for you there's going to be a downside risk so if you go with a single erp system for example the risk is that system doesn't give you all the capability you need should typically there's the, the decision point of I might have to add additional systems to, to bolt on to give me the full capability of what I need. So that's a risk. Or if I go best of breed, the risk there is now I end up with a hodgepodge of systems and now I've got to work more on the technical integration and make sure we've got single source of truth with data, um, that sort of thing. So that's that's a risk. Not to say either one of those are terrible things that can't be overcome, but you just need to know that whatever path you go down or whatever decision you make You're going to have a downside risk none of these are silver bullet answers and you've got to have a a clear plan to help you get there Um, what are some examples i know you're a big proponent and we as a company are are big proponents of the whole sort of phase zero pre-implementation planning and that sort of thing what what are some of the real high level things that an organization should be thinking about and preparing for before they go down whatever path it is they're going to go down
2: Sure. Uh, you know the uh, the thing that we we touched on earlier is really establishing the business case for where you need to go as an organization, right? so it's it's establishing what is the cost for staying with some of our legacy systems? what is the uh, what is the risk of staying with our legacy systems, and what do we have to gain from moving to a new ERP system, multiple platforms. Um, you know the uh, interoperability model. Um, should that be our strategy going forward, or should be we be looking at a uniform ERP system and go down that traditional model model path? Establishing that uh, that business plan up front is uh, is critically important, and a lot of organizations don't do it. And then getting into a phase zero where before your systems integrator or your software vendors come into play, you really should be looking at uh, data cleansing, making sure that you've got an analytics platform that's going to support everything going forward, that you're going to have all of your information coming into one repository for that information and operate as a single business rather than operating in, in silos or, or disparate technologies. Um, the Preparedness of the people for making all of the change that you're anticipating with that digital transformation, right? So organizational readiness, uh, data integrity uh, up front, doing the data cleansing and the data migration planning for moving to a new system, and then doing a thoughtful and, um, you know, very uh, efficient uh, software selection. So selection of those... Um, software elements, software vendors that are going to help you manage your business going forward. And then after that, pulling in the systems integrators and the team that's going to implement the systems that you've decided are are going to be the best for your organization going forward. So it's following those continual path moves that, uh, that need to happen over a period of time before you get into the implementation itself
0: yeah yeah no that's what that's well said and we've got uh, videos out on our uh, on my <laughs> and on third stage's youtube channel that, that sort of dive into that phase zero implementation planning uh phase in in more detail um here's a comment that i'll i'll ask the person if they don't mind to elaborate on but this is from uh, michael martin on linkedin he says that i'm very much against best of breed and a huge proponent of single platform the downside is much less so thank you for that that feedback I um, would love to hear your thoughts on what some of those downsides are, or, or sort of what you see the tipping point being that, that that makes you think that that single platforms are are materially better than than best of breed. Um, what about? Um, I know we've talked about uh, we have talked about interoperability, but um, so I won't ask you that question again. But I did want to ask you a question around um, these forced cloud migrations. Um, I, I haven't seen in my career. Um, And I'd be curious to see what you think here, Greg, but I don't, I don't recall seeing a time in my career where you had this sort of mass upgrade happening across the board, across different vendors to new cloud systems. So in other words, you have this giant tidal wave or a a massive movement in the industry where most of the big ERP vendors or a lot of the big ERP vendors are essentially forcing customers off the legacy on-prem systems into the cloud. And without us necessarily debating whether cloud is right or wrong or the best answer or, or how, how it's better than on-prem, I think it's fair to say, that's just where the industry is going right or wrong. That's, that's where it's going. Sure. Um, so then the question becomes, how does, how do you think these forced migrations or the forced sunsetting of these legacy products, how is that affecting, um, customer trust? You know, that's something you and I have talked quite a bit about over the years.
2: Well, I, I think that there is a, a little bit of a lack of trust in, the major ERP vendors, because the um, the move to the cloud is is a mandate that's coming as a as a result of the advantages of being in the cloud, right? So interconnectivity, uh, interoperability, um, consistency of the applications, and the continual upgrades are all benefits of especially the multi-tenant cloud environment. Um, so everyone, everyone understands what the benefits might be. Uh, it's also a great benefit to the software vendors themselves because they're able to maintain one system to many clients rather than single systems, single upgrades, um, maintaining multiple versions of the software. They've got all of their people now focused on managing and maintaining and upgrading uh, a single version of the software. So it's much more efficient for them from a from a financial standpoint, um, but it has created a, uh, a mistrust. There are people that are running, you know, older applications of Infor, SAP. Um, to your point, everyone is upgrading and moving to the multi tenant cloud environment and really rewritten technology foundations underneath these um, ERP systems and. Uh, you know, the, the forced March is, is really something that is costing organizations a lot of money in terms of the implementation, in terms of the change management that goes on with new applications and new ways of running those applications and systems. Um, you know, that's, that's creating a a great mistrust in the marketplace, but you're right. It's, it's a tidal wave of having to move. So over the next three to five years. 80% Eighty percent of the organizations that are out there—they're running legacy systems from major software vendors—are going to have to move to the to the new um, the new ERP system uh, to the new cloud solution. Um, they are decommissioning the older applications and systems, and and again that that trust in somebody that you've worked with for twenty years is is really deteriorating.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It- it's it's fascinating to me to watch actually because you know we've you and I have been we've worked for different organizations in in the technology enterprise technology space and you know you see the ebbs and flows of the industry but I've just haven't seen a time where there's so much skepticism and distrust of software vendors and I think a lot of it is because they're in many ways getting bullied customers are getting bullied by the software vendors into changing something that isn't just a this isn't just a technology investment or a technology upgrade that software vendors are essentially forcing on their customers. They're they're forcing a high-risk digital and business transformation that that organization may or may not be ready for, may or may not need to go through if it wasn't for the software vendors. And so that's part of, quite frankly, why, why we as a company being independent technology agnostic. That's part of why we're growing so fast, I think, is because of this distrust that's being created in the marketplace by the software vendors and by the system integrators, even the industry analysts that are out there pushing that same one-sided message um people are seeing through it uh, and they're seeing through it pretty significantly and uh, I'll be curious to see how it how it shakes out longer term um, but uh, that that's unfortunate and it, it actually um, on a personal level it is super irritating and makes me angry that, <laughs> that, that big <laughs> not to get too personal but that, that uh, big organizations are able to just force you know big fortune 500 fortune 1000 small and mid-sized companies they're these big tech companies are essentially forcing them into these high risk propositions that have an 80% failure rate. They're getting forced into that in a three to five year window that you just described. And, you know, with that comes limited resources, a strain on resources to be able to do all this work all at once. Um, So it's, it's a really fascinating time and and one that I've never seen in my career, for sure.
2: You know, just to, just to pile on to that just a little bit. So originally it was, it was passed off as a upgrade, right. Uh, Right. For many of these organizations. And people have, have learned or found out that uh, it's not an upgrade. In almost every single case, it's a new implementation of, an, of a new system. It requires a lot of change management. It requires you know, a, a whole new technology foundation that your people who were certified and really understand how the old ERP system worked now need to learn a whole new ERP system. So everyone is is taking this opportunity to go out there and see what else is available. If, if, you know, I was uh, working with a, a single software vendor for 20 years and it was running my business just fine, but maybe there's somebody else out there or some combination of other systems out there that can run my business better, that can bring me greater value as a stakeholder, as a shareholder in my organization. And that's why everyone is now considering, where am I gonna go in this digital transformation? It's that digital transformation tidal wave that you talked about. So fascinating time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're here with Greg Benton from Third Stage Consulting talking about the death of ERP software as we know it. We've got a lot of ground left to cover, but first we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control.
1: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to 3rd Stage Consulting Group. 3rd Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative,
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number one hundred and ten. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, as well as YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm here with Greg Benton from Third Stage Consulting, talking about the death of ERP software as we know it. So we're getting some comments in the from the audience here, uh, particularly on LinkedIn. <laughs> <I couldn't imagine. laughs> so this is um, so the person uh, Michael on LinkedIn who who made the comment that single ERP is. I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, single ERP is hands down better than best of breed. And then I asked the question, well, why, you know, why do you, why do you think that? And so he he came back with some comments here. Uh, one of which is, let me pull it up. It is uh, the benefits of a single platform. You have reduced integrations, increased security, improved recording, improved reporting, ease of implementation, enablement of digital transformation. And then in another comment uh, from that same person from Michael, he also says that, um, ERPs are very mature and most of them satisfy a very large percentage of requirements. Um, I'm going to challenge a couple of those things. Um, I mean, first of all, I'd say ERP systems are becoming more mature. They they've historically been mature, but the problem right now, to your point, Greg, is that you're, you're doing these big rewrites of the software, right? It's, this isn't just an upgrade. Like you said, this is a a re creation of cloud versions of what had historically been been done on prem. So you look at like uh, for example, Look at SAP S/4HANA. If you look at SAP S/4HANA versus ECC six, or even more so R three, you know the, the even older legacy product that were both on prem originally. Um, S/4HANA is a totally different platform. Totally, you know, the HANA platform is just totally different. Yes, there's some similarities and there's some familiarity that comes along with it. So if you're an SAP consultant or an SAP person with experience with on prem SAP products, you're gonna there's gonna be some uh, efficiency and, and learning curve. Benefits uh, of staying with SAP, but to your point, Greg, they are largely rewrites. And if you think about the how long cloud's been around, cloud hasn't been around that long. I mean, it, in terms of when most of these big software vendors started to make the shift to the cloud, it's only been you know a decade or less for most of these for most of these organizations. Right. Where, whereas they had decades to develop the on-premise solution and put all that R and D into it. So you still have a lot of catch up that's happening. I would argue in the space, and we see it in a lot of organizations that are in the midst of an implementation. Like for example, we have a, we have a client that's in the, on the tail end of a seven year Oracle EBS implementation. And in the middle of that implementation, Oracle tried to sort of push them into the cloud ERP solution. And that client who's a manufacturing client looked at the capabilities of, of cloud ERP or Oracle ERP cloud and determined that that just didn't have the maturity, didn't have the capabilities that EBS had. So rather than getting caught up in whether or not they should be on-prem or in the cloud, they looked at functionality. Can this software run our business? And they determined that the cloud version wasn't ready. And so they, they decided to keep deploying EBS, knowing that eventually they're probably going to have to upgrade anyway. But they're, they want to wait and be on the tail end of that adoption so that it gives Oracle time to develop and further develop those capabilities. So I'd say, I'd argue that, yes, ERP systems are mature, but unless you're talking about, say, a suite for example, that was a legacy cloud solution from right. developed 20 years ago, 25 years ago, other than say a NetSuite who was born in the cloud, most of these other systems are now trying to catch up to their cloud, you know, their cloud versions to the on-premise work, version. Workday would
2: be a, another example of a cloud native
0: yep. a- application. Yep. Salesforce.
2: Salesforce. Salesforce
0: as well. So those guys, I'd say, yeah, you're right. Those those cloud solutions are are pretty mature. But look at SAP, S4 HANA, Oracle ERP Cloud. Yes, they're getting more mature in a couple of years. This comment will probably be obsolete. But as of right now, they're still trying to develop a lot of that same capability that they once had on prem. They're still trying to develop that same robustness and diversity of uh, capability um, in the cloud. So I I don't think we're quite there yet. So I think that's what's creating this opening of opportunities and alternatives is the fact that those systems are not quite ready for prime time in many cases. what about? Um, here's here's a comment from from Gasan on um, YouTube. He says, "Don't underestimate the amount of effort required for data migration. It's key to the success of cutover." And I think that's probably true, regardless of what path you go down, right? Would you agree with that, Greg?
2: It absolutely is. We uh, we have an, another client that uh, has been implementing for a very long time, and they really didn't establish a um, uh, data migration path in the very beginning, uh, didn't really put together the, uh, the analytics um, uh, strategy that was gonna be maintained for the organization all the way through the implementation. So now we are getting to the end of the implementation and go live, and we have four different disparate um, uh, reporting systems that are going to need to be used over a uniform ERP system And it's, it's primarily because the vendor has changed strategies with regard to the, uh, the reporting and analytics. And there was never any upfront plan to, uh, to get from, you know, all these disparate data sources coming into, you know, a single on-premise system in the past to now a new system. And we're going to have to, uh develop a new strategy going forward for the analytics, um, business intelligence, um, enterprise planning going forward. So I think Gassan is exactly right. You have to make that a major part of your your upfront strategy. Uh, Again, that's going back to that strategy and phase zero approach to, before you even embark on this in full, um, get all of your ducks in a row in, in terms of that piece of the, uh, the equation. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, well said. Here's a comment. I've heard you say something very similar to this, Greg. So I think you, you might like this comment and leave it to uh, <laughs> Sam Graham, who's a regular contributor to our podcast, Just just when I think I'm the one that's being disruptive, then Sam comes along and out disrupts me by asking something, <laughs> uh, very controversial and it's hard to do. <laughs> right. That, that's why I like, I love having Sam on here. So Sam on LinkedIn says if so many companies will be changing systems in the next couple of years, are there enough implementation consultants to go around or will systems be implemented by inexperienced consultants? I love that question.
2: <laughs> I, I, I love that comment. that is disruptive. Yeah you know but he's he's Sam is pointing out a, uh, a great point. Um, with everyone needing to make this move, uh, you know I refer to it as as really kind of the burnover period everyone's looking at digital transformation because they have to right gets back to that that whole trust issue with the uh with the software vendors but yeah all of the implementation teams all of the systems integrators you know third stage for sure are all involved in digital transformation are all involved in implementing new systems software solutions you know digital transformation. So that is taking the best teams. That is taking the A-team from many of the systems integrators and applying them to the people that uh, the people in the organizations that get first in line. So now what's what's gonna happen in two years when somebody who is, has said, well, I'll just wait and I'll find out. You know, I I can change ERP systems or I can, you know, midstream. We'll be able to to make the changes that are necessary to upgrade our systems, to implement new technology. What if if there aren't teams available to do that implementation? What if there aren't people available that really understand the new systems and can support the legacy systems? I mean, there's a lot of talk about backfill. So when you pull a, a person out of their day job to work on the project team because you want your best subject matter experts to be working on the implementation of the new software and the new technology as you're going into an implementation, right? Um, how do you how do you backfill that individual with people that really know how to run the legacy system at the same time that you're having the A-team consultancy come in and do the implementation on the front end of, of the new system that's going into place? Um, that's creating a, a real crowd of um, uh, migration to the new digital transformations in in the next two to three years that uh, that you described earlier, Eric. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you
0: know, follow up comment here from Michael on LinkedIn, who's commenting on Sam's question and comment is that systems are already being implemented by inexperienced consultants. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I tend to agree with that. And if that is true, which I, I think it is, um, it, and not, not, not across the board, of course, not 100% of implementation consultants are inexperienced, of course, but um, with this mass influx or this mass uh, migration that you're seeing of, of companies that are upgrading or implementing new systems all within a short window, that's putting pressure on, especially the big system integrators to hire more inexperienced people that can they can do this, or they end up offshoring a lot of it too. A lot of the development gets offshored um, as well. Um, so I think that is a, a challenge. But it, having inexperienced consultants on f- projects has always been a challenge and a, a sort of a wart in, in the industry, I'd say. But I think that's something that's probably become even more more prevalent now. It has. Yeah. Um, let's see here. There's a lot, of, a lot of really good comments here. In fact, so many I'm having trouble sorting through them all. Um, <laughs> Which usually I don't, but today I. You know,
2: I I will say too that while you're while you're doing that, the uh, the program management piece is is really important on top of, you know, the the implementation. Uh, as we've been talking, you may have a number of different platforms, a number of different systems that you're implementing along the way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, managing that centrally and creating your own. PMO or project management office, program management office, excuse me, Uh, or or having someone like third stage help you establish that is is really key to making sure that you have the right people and the right um, uh, experience uh, doing the implementation work, doing the the ongoing uh, uh, enterprise changes that need to happen within the organization. So change management, the technical architecture, the systems integration or implementation work as well, all under that PMO umbrella. Right.
0: Yeah. Great point. Yeah. In in viewing this as a program rather than just a technical project is really important because the program pulls in the technology or technologies that need to be deployed, but the program also pulls in other work streams like change management, data migration and process improvement. Um, architecture, all that stuff. Um, so I think that's a great point. And making sure you've got a complete program in place is, is very important. That is something that we help our clients with. Yeah, you also mentioned change management. You, you mentioned this before, too, and I forgot to ask you a, or follow up or make a follow up comment. When you talk about change management, that's also something I think is worth looking at when you're considering single ERP versus one of these other options we're talking about, whether it's interoperability, platform, best of breed or whatever on the single ERP system, I would argue that there's more of a change management challenge because now you're sort of forcing the entire organization onto one platform that may or may not be aligned with the way you want to operate or have operated in the future. And so that tends to create more strain from a change management perspective, whereas a best of breed model it's it's not that change management is easy, but it's easier because now with best of breed, you've gone out and you've found the solution that best fits your needs for that one area versus one single system that by definition can't be everything to everyone. And so you're going to make compromises and tradeoffs in that single ERP model, which is going to create change management issues. So what are your thoughts on that? How does how does change management factor into, you know, these different paths that we're talking about here?
2: I think that uh, you hit it hit it on the head again. Um, a single ERP system, while if it's a replacement of something like uh, an, an Infor or Lawson legacy system going to Cloud Suite, is you're gonna have a little bit less change in terms of the, the new applications, but nevertheless, you're gonna have a whole lot of training, a whole lot of change management that's gonna have to happen with the new applications. And I, I think that um, you know people tend to disregard that, so they think that it is something of an upgrade, or you know that the change is going to be uh, fairly uniform, and it's not. And when it's not, and there's the surprise that uh, it comes with discovery that you know the change is not going to be well managed within the organization. Um, suddenly, that's something that has to be done after go live, right? And uh, continued op- optimization. Whereas with best of breed, we shouldn't even call it best of breed. We should call it appropriate sequencing of technology. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I like it <laughs> because you can still operate some of your legacy systems while you're implementing new technology components in you know point solutions that are going to work for the organization. So you may not necessarily change all of the all of the uh, processes and. Have to go through all of the change management at one time for the new system. You can go through that in stages and plan for that very appropriately up front.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's well put. So even if you are going with that single ERP system model, um, you don't necessarily need to deploy it all at once. You can phase it. You can sort of break it up into bite-sized chunks and that sort of thing. Um, for sure. Um, well. I guess just to wrap up, and there's so much here we haven't talked about. I feel like we (laughs) definitely need a part two of this conversation, partly because there's so many questions that we didn't get to get to here today. Um, But one sort of closing question I'll ask you, Greg, is, you know, as we think about these different options, you know, we've talked about some different paths you can take, whether it's single ERP systems or one of the other alternatives, what are what are some starting points that you would recommend to an organization and their project teams to really help define or assess these different paths and figure out which path is best for you. Because we're not here to promote one or the other, even though we are, it's sort of a biased title to this uh, discussion, which is the death of ERP software as we know it. At the end of the day, ERP software is not going anywhere. It's going to be around for a long time. It's going to be a great Absolutely. option for a lot of organizations, yeah. but these other alternatives are going to be great options for a lot of organizations. So how do you determine what path or which path is best for you? What are some really sort of uh, simple takeaways we can leave the audience with to get started on that
2: journey? absolutely internally develop that uh, program management office and lead that uh, charge for you know building the business plan, uh, building the business case for moving it forward, having the executive level of the organization agree that we are going to sponsor this because it makes complete sense. So understand what your objectives are, measure those objectives all the way through uh, enter into a phase zero where you really prepare the organization and understand the organization's preparedness for moving into this digital transformation and, uh, again, getting back to measure and measure and measure all the way along. So um, establish governance up front as well. So it's, it's, it's all of that strategy in phase zero before you ever get to the decision about which system you're going to either maintain or go with as a new digital digital transformation. Um, do the upfront work. You know that's that's the uh, the main thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, very well said. and if uh, if anyone listening in here is interested in learning more about what some of that upfront work is or you want to sort of brainstorm ideas on how to get started, certainly reach out to either Greg or I. Uh, we can talk uh, be happy to chat with you about what what those options might look like or how you might get started. All right. Thank you, Greg. Great conversation. And thank you to the audience for great questions too. Um, Really good comments and questions. In fact, we didn't have time to get to all the questions uh, because there were so many good ones, but we're going to try and cover a couple more of them here when we come back from a quick break. But before we do that, uh, we'll take that break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control.
1: Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 110. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had Greg on the show talking about the end of ERP or the death of ERP software, as we know it. What were uh, some of your comments or or takeaways from the conversation?
1: Well, I mean, amazing audience engagement. Um, So thank you for all of the great questions there. And and like I said, if you still have questions, feel free to pop them in the comments and um, we will get them answered. Uh, But there's a few things I kind of wanted to dig into as we saw this debate emerge when it comes to best of breed versus a single ERP system. And for the first time, we've really seen some people stick to single ERP, which um, really staunchly, which is great um, in in the fact that, that that belief is firm. But there is one piece that kind of Drew some dialogue that I know you and Greg didn't get to, and that's when it comes to customizations. So we talked about the the fact of of integration and the interoperability and the ability to um, to share data across the organization with those integrations versus a core ERP, which wouldn't require as much integrations, maybe some, but might require some customizations based on the core competencies or needs of the organization. How do you feel the risk level of customizations on a core ERP versus a lot of integrations on a best of breed type of technical stack?
0: It's That's a great question. And One that we, you're right, we didn't have time to get to in the conversation with Greg, but it's an important one because as a broad generalization, not always true, but more often than not, this is true. You're going to customize more with an ERP system um, simply because you are trying to force fit, for lack of a better word, you're trying to force fit a a system across an entire enterprise. And anytime you do that, you're going to find deficiencies or just things that that system can't do well or can't do in a way that fits your business needs. So there's going to be more temptation to customize best of breed. On the other hand, you're more likely to go out and find point solutions that do each individual area really well. And you might have less customization there, but to your point, now you've traded that risk of maybe having less customization. Now you've got the risk of having more integration and potential data uh, integrity issues, and maybe even potential cybersecurity issues too, which we didn't talk about that either, but cybersecurity becomes an issue as well when you have multiple systems or more systems than one. So there's definite trade offs, and I think that's really what we're trying to get at in that conversation. Was we're trying to understand uh, or talk through the the pros and cons of either of any path, because we're not here to promote one over the other, but we're here to open up some discussion and dialogue around what what some of those potential options are that you might not be considering. And twenty years ago, if we were talking about best of breed, it was generally frowned upon in the industry. I'd say a majority of the industry just didn't buy into the idea of best of breed, but that was back when integration was really difficult. Data integrity was a lot more difficult and now you've got more tools that allow you to you know, do more integration and, and uh, more seamlessly tie together multiple systems. So still a risk, but not as much as it used to be. So I think that's one of the trends that's changing as well.
1: Certainly, certainly that makes a lot of sense. What about customization and the relationship that that makes or even the dependency on the software vendor for that custom customization?
0: Yeah, great question. I mean, when you customize, you are more dependent on the software vendor, but perhaps even more significantly or more important is the fact that now you are exposing yourself to risk. So when there are upgrades or updates to the system, what happens to that customization? Does that customization break? Does it need to be rewritten or will it survive the upgrades and the enhancements to the system? And that's a big unknown and that's a big problem that a lot of companies find themselves in Um, when they do customization now the good news bad news with cloud migrations is in general you have less ability to customize software especially if you're in a software as a service sort of a multi-tenant cloud situation where you're using the same solution that hundreds or thousands of other organizations are using so you only have so much flexibility to be able to personalize that software Um, because if you go in and change the code you'd be breaking it you know for for multiple organizations which doesn't work so Um, so that's sort of a good news, bad news situation. I think a lot of software vendors would typically say, well, that's, you shouldn't customize. You should just use our best practices off the shelf, out of the box or whatever. Um, that's, there's no such thing as best practices. So it's it's completely misleading for a software vendor or a system integrator to say that because there's no central body that decides what best practices are for any given industry. What best practices really are, or just that's the way the software is built. That's the way it was designed to be used. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's best practice or it certainly doesn't mean that it's best for you as an organization. And that's that's the rub. That's the problem with big ERP and, and any sort of enterprise technology, for that matter, um, that you've got to navigate.
1: Absolutely. All great advice. Let's transition to some of the questions around executive alignment, because there was a lot around how do I convince the board or how do I do this? And, and you made a really interesting point that um, – created some dialogue around showcase what's broken or showcase the warts within the organization. Can you talk more about how you might do that?
0: How to showcase the warts in an organization?
1: Or how how to essentially bring to the executive team a package recommendation that showcases all of the weaknesses that would be fixed essentially in a digital transformation, upgraded, those types of things.
0: Yeah. So it all starts with your overall strategy as a company. And that usually, I mean, that should be the driver of what you're doing and why you're doing it. We get lost. We as an industry are completely lost right now with the way the industry is working in that the, when I say we, I, I shouldn't say we, because third stage isn't part of this vendor or software community, although we we deal with it every day, but I'll, I'll say the software community is creating this, um, this artificial sense of urgency to go through a digital transformation now. And a lot of organizations were already feeling that sense of urgency because of COVID and the exposure that that created with cybersecurity and accessibility and that sort of thing with with hybrid work environments. So to be fair, there was already this sense of urgency building, but then you throw on top of that, the fact that software vendors are are sunsetting their old products and they're essentially forcing their customers onto newer products. Um, With that backdrop, what it does is it creates a situation where the buyers of that technology, the enterprises themselves, the project teams, the executives at those organizations, are making these decisions based on uh necessity. They they have to go through this transformation because their vendor has left them with no choice. So that's a really bad reason. And it's not nearly enough of a reason to go through a transformation. Cause what happens is even though that may be true, you may have to move right now and you may need to go through right now. You need to have a better, a better excuse than that. You need to have a better justification and and sort of a guiding light on how you're going to manage this transformation, how it's going to help your business going forward. But a lot of times organizations forget that or or they just don't think of that because they, they, in their minds, don't have any choice. They have to move through to a new system. So why create a business case? Why align it with our digital strategy Or, or why align our digital strategy with our business strategy? Why get executive alignment? It doesn't matter. We have to do this anyway. That's sort of the mentality, but it's a really risky mentality and it creates a lot of problems later on. So I think, um, you know, you, so you want to go to the organization and to the executive team and have that vision of here's how this transformation will help our business. Here are the works that we fix. Here's the business value. Here's a quantifiable uh, business benefit that we'll get out of that. Here's what the realistic costs are, not the low ball proposal you get from the software vendors or SIs, but this is the actual cost, the total cost of ownership for the transformation. Here's the business value. Here's the ROI and either it makes sense as a business or not. And then last thing I'll say is if it doesn't make sense, if you can't justify it, then don't do it. I mean, just because a vendor is telling you they're going to stop supporting a product, that's a terrible reason to, you know, bank your whole company's future on. It may be that you sit on an older version that you don't have support for or that you've got a higher internal support. That, that's not ideal at all. There are definite risks to that, but it's, it's certainly an option and you want to look at all your options and make sure you're doing what's right for you as an organization.
1: Don't be Mr. Mackey. You don't need the gold package. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, exactly. no. Great advice. And we do have a lot of content on our YouTube channel about sunsetting um, if you are in that situation um, with your your system and understand that you need to go through a whole evaluation process when that happens um, to to just really find out what's right for your business to your point. So let's talk about one more kind of line of conversation that we had here, which is organizational change management. I always like when we mm-hmm. mentioned that all of our change um, influencers come into the chat, which is great because they always have great content, but they talked a lot about the actual, um, project of change management and what the timeline should look like and when you should continue that after the transformation is complete. And kind of that third stage, if you will, um, that we always preach and coach to our clients is the importance. And that's really the maximizing of business value of your systems, not just flipping the switch to go live. So can you talk a little bit about what that change management overall project should look like in a digital transformation?
0: Yeah. So um, first of all, there's a ton of videos on my YouTube channel that, that dive into change management in more detail and provide, you know, breakdowns of the different work streams and deliverables that you, you should focus on within change management. But I'd say the first thing, you know, if I were to s- sort of summarize the, the most important change management aspects of a, of a digital transformation, I'd say the first and foremost is going to be your organizational readiness assessment to really understand quantitatively and qualitatively how the uh, organization is structured and what the strengths and weaknesses are culturally for your organization as it relates to going through a transformation. So in other words, you want to, you want to be a little bit more focused and deliberate and prescriptive in how you apply change management rather than just coming in with a one size fits all answer, so to do that, though, you need to understand, you know, here's what we're good at as an organization. Here are our strengths. Here are the weaknesses, the things that will undermine our ability to change. And then also, here's what we want our culture to look like and we want the organization to look like in the future. And so you look at all those three points and then you figure out what's the best change strategy to help you get there. Um, there are a couple things within change management programs that are pretty universal and, and applicable in any situation. There's a lot that are sort of it depends, you know, if you if, you, if this, then maybe you need that, if this, then that. But there's a couple of things that are that are common, uh, pretty universal in addition to the organizational readiness. One is the uh, change impact assessment. So really understanding where the how the processes work today and how individual roles and responsibilities look today versus what they need to look like in the future. That's pretty universal. That's something that you're going to have to do if you want to be effective in your change program. Uh, a lot of organizations don't do that. They focus on the future state. They focus on training people in the future state, and then they wonder why people freak out when they understand the magnitude of change as they're sitting in a classroom, uh, right before go live. So that change impact, uh, is very important. And then I'd say the third thing is the organizational design and really having a clear, uh, roadmap and clear vision of what the organization is going to look like, especially if you're a, you know, a larger organization that's trying to consolidate functions or create a shared services model as part of your transformation, you need to take that time upfront to define what that is or else you're not going to get the business value that you expect to get out of your, out of your transformation. So those are a few things that I'd say are pretty universal. And then there's a lot of other things, like I said, that are going to be case by case, depending on what your situation is.
1: Absolutely. The the it depends definitely um, is is going to be uh, critical, but also... Having OCM or a change management strategy layered in your transformation it sounds like both you and Greg believe, and our audience that that is a key component to achieving any sort of successful implementation. Because, like you said, it's it's not an upgrade anymore. It is truly the spine of the organization. The overall digital culture is critical to understand and assess, and ultimately optimize.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely.
1: Well, the last thing I'll say on on that uh, conversation, we saw a lot of questions about becoming a co- consultant or interest in being a consultant. Just wanted to remind our community that we are always um, looking for consultants of any kind, whether you specialize in a specific system or operations or are just interested in becoming a consultant. You can reach out to us with your resume and just a basic understanding of the third stage mission to work at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also reach out to me or Eric, probably me more than Eric, as he (laughs) has a lot of fans, um, on LinkedIn as well um, to have a conversation about that. But we are always in a high growth mode and looking for consultants that are both a technical and culture match.
0: Yeah. Great, great feedback. So I'd love to to chat with you if you're interested in joining the team, especially if you're based in one of our main hubs in, in the U.S., uh, Europe, or, or Asia, Asia Pacific. Um, if you're in any of those areas, those are kind of where our, our global um, offices are. Uh, so love to hear from you. So um, great. Well, thank you for those uh, additional questions. And actually, those are uh, largely your questions, Kyler, as well as questions from the audience that we didn't get to in our discussion with with Greg. So that it's good we got to knock a few of those topics out uh, as a follow-up. So we're going to shift gears a bit. And speaking of questions, we're going to uh, play you a clip here in a moment from a recent digital stratosphere conference that we hosted where we had a Q&A session that I hosted with the audience and uh, just took general Q&A. It was after, I think toward the end of the event and uh, we'd covered a number of different topics ranging from change management to program management, software selection, digital strategy, all this stuff that goes into digital transformation and then we opened it up to general Q&A, stuff we didn't cover that people wanted us to dive further into. So it's a really interesting conversation that covers a lot of ground. So we thought we'd play that for you. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll play that clip. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 110. And My name is Eric Hamerling here with Kyler Cheatham. And you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms as well as YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So uh, we want to play you this clip from our Digital Stratosphere Conference, which you can uh, uh, learn more about or go watch more of the uh, workshops beyond this clip. We're going to play you here today uh, at stratosphere2022.com. So if you go to that website, it has uh, you can just register, put in your email address. You'll get access to all the sessions that we we hosted, a lot of really good presentations in that session. But this was sort of a capstone Q&A session that we had uh, toward the end of that event where we invited people to ask me questions, just general questions that we didn't cover in the, in the other workshops or uh, questions that people just wanted to go deeper into. So uh, it's a really good conversation. So we'll play this clip and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll kind of debrief some of the, the takeaways from that.
1: I will go ahead and jump in, and then I I will just answer this one because it's mostly for me. Is there a possibility to view these sessions again? Yes, absolutely. So if you're at the top of this session and go to the first one, you can view all of the sessions again. They're all recorded there, they'll stay recorded there, um, and you can access them at any point. You can also share them with your network or your colleagues. It's um, no cost, again, they just have to go through the registration process and they're able to view all of those that additional content. So if you are a global organization, you have different timeframes, I know um, our colleagues will do the same. So with that, good good reminder on, on the other questions. So this one is about a specific um, ERP system, Eric. So I apologize if I butcher the name, but this was one of our first questions um, during the session. Do you have experience with using or evaluating, I think it's Macola. it's M-A-C-O-L-A-E-R-P. He says you don't have, it mentioned in any of your evaluations, um, and I don't see it mentioned in a lot of industry research, i.e. Garner magic quadrants, which I know you're a big fan of. So um, if you... <laughs> If you can let us know if you've ever heard of that, or if anyone in the audience has ever heard of that too, um, we can give our our audience member here some feedback to you.
0: Yeah, I, I have heard from uh, heard of McCola. Um, honestly, more often than not, at least from our experience at Third Stage, it's moving uh, clients away from McCola. But uh, it is a it is a well known and fairly, I'd say, moderately common. Uh, erp system in the in the manufacturing space i think exact uh, exact there's a software company called exact that owns them now um so yeah it's, i'd say it's a good tier two tier three sort of manufacturing option uh where we see where where we see it most often like i said is with organizations that have gotten past sort of that small to mid-market level and they're kind of scaling up to be a, a larger player in the manufacturing space or distribution space um so that's where we see uh more often than not companies moving away from mccola it looks like john is saying is john the same one that asked the question i think i saw that from before john madden
1: um i'm not sure honestly we didn't capture the names in this specific one we just had the question so john if you ask that and have any follow-up questions please go ahead and and pop them in the the uh, the comments there
0: so i think he's correcting me uh in saying it's eci that owns them um which could be true I, I can't remember for sure who who owns it but um but yeah but i do know the product mccola it's just shifted hands or shifted ownership in recent recent years but it's a good reminder though that you know you mentioned the gardener magic quadrant and um kyler mentioned how much i love the gardener quadrant because it's uh completely biased and funded by the vendors it's a good example of how you're not going to see products like that on the gardener's magic quadrant partly because i don't know this for a fact but i don't a lot of these smaller vendors like mccola's and others you know other vendors in the world don't spend a lot of money on that sort of marketing to get gardner to commission magic quadrants to show how great their product is so you have to kind of look at it through that uh, sort of semi-cynical lens that you know the stuff you're getting from gardner is not uh, unbiased it's not agnostic it's not objective um but it doesn't mean it's not a good fit for you you know if you're a smaller, mid-sized manufacturing organization mccola could be a great fit so I don't want to knock it just because it's not on Gartner's Magic Quadrant or just because we see clients moving away from it, it just, you know, it all comes down to what your needs are. And if it's aligned with your needs, then it can be a great solution. And that same comment goes for any, any uh, you know, second or third tier ERP system. There's a lot of good options out there that people have never heard of.
1: Excellent. Well, very good. Um, the Another question we had was, what framework have you had the most success with when deploying and govern- governing and implementation?
0: Yeah, so, um, hmm, sorry, I'm gonna to try to boil it down to a simple answer or as simple as I can make it. Um, I would say that, you know, first and foremost, having a clear uh, project plan in project charter that is more of a program, you know, think of it as not just a project, not just a technology, technology project work stream, which is how most organizations think of their ERP or digital transformation projects you have to think of it as an overall program. So one work stream is gonna be the technology piece and that's where your software vendor or your system integrator will help with that piece of it. You might have multiple software vendors and uh, system integrators. You certainly are gonna have your other non-technical types of work streams like change management, process improvement, risk mitigation, quality assurance, all that stuff and architecture, data migration, integration. So you kind of look at that whole picture and that's your program. And so that's one, that's probably step one is make sure you're viewing it as a program and defining the governance and the plan and the strategy for the overall program. Now your system integrator is probably gonna tell you, we've got that, don't worry about it, but they're just looking at one work stream within that. So you've gotta look at the overall work stream. Um, And then the other thing is just um, you know, have a clear business case with clear metrics of what you wanna get out of the system because not only is that helpful to justify the project and to get approval and buy-in to the project, but you also can use that business case for decision criteria so in other words for example when you have a end user or an employee that comes forward and says hey we need to customize this software because it doesn't do what i want it to do um and i need it to do you know a b or c it's it's hard to make those decisions in the dark you know you're sort of shooting in the dark with no clear guidance but if you have a business case and metrics behind that that gives you a little bit more or a lot more structure and it makes it less personal less emotional and more of a quantitative business decision so if if the if the uh, stakeholder is asking for customization that's going to cost you fifty thousand us dollars let's just say as an example but you can point to the business case and show how that customization is going to enable one million dollars of annual benefits then sure go ahead and do it but if you can't point to any measurable business benefits and in fact maybe you're actually making you're, you're reinforcing some inefficiencies within your organization then you can point to that and say yeah it doesn't make sense from a from a uh Quantitative perspective. So, um, I, I'd say having that sort of governance and those sort of guardrails for your project uh, is critical. And even backing up a little bit more and at you a know, higher level, is looking at the overall strategy of your organization and defining those goals and objectives and translating those into specific parameters and guardrails for the transformation and making sure that the way you govern the project is aligned with those goals and objectives. And it sounds simple enough, but it's amazing how many organizations have you know, this corporate or organizational level strategy up here, digital strategies down here going off in a totally different direction. Uh, And part of that is governance is because you don't have that executive sponsorship. You don't have the clear parameters for how it all ties together. Um, You don't have the business case quantified to give you direction. So you really need that, that overall strategic alignment uh, first and foremost, before you can have effective uh, project governance. And then of course there's there's a tactical, day-to-day project governance, like, uh, you know, just tracking milestones and making sure you stay on budget on track. Um, I, I'd say within that tactical day-to-day stuff, the, the most difficult one for a lot of organizations is the sort of call it the technology agnostic or the vendor agnostic risk mitigation. Right. Uh, when, you ask a software, when you ask a software vendor or a system integrator how things are going, they're typically going to overstate the, the health and the progress that's being made. But you need an objective third party that can look at that and and see what's really happening and see where the real risks are and anticipate those risks and help mitigate those and and do so in a way that's not threatening. I mean, I think a lot of people feel threatened when you identify risk. That's not the point of identifying risk. The point of identifying risk is not to point fingers or to blame anyone. It's to say this is a risk and we've got to deal with it. We've got to mitigate it. So you need that risk mitigation framework to be effective on the the project governance side. So that's just a few, you know, a handful of the, the higher priority things that come to mind
1: yeah and, and just a note on that from our digital stratosphere of 2021 which is still available on eric's crowdcast profile and also on our third stage youtube channel we have an excellent project governance um keynote from tony ford who's one of our senior consultants and he wasn't able unfortunately due to client conflicts to come back and update us on that this year but i do highly recommend it if that's something that you're interested in you head over to the Third Stage YouTube channel and check it out. All right, next question. Um, so this involves the the cloud. Um, so in the context of digital transformation and manufacturing, how important is connecting manufacturing ERP with other systems via APIs on the cloud, such as e-commerce to bring in paid sales orders
0: um in general most organizations uh find it very important i i think it's less important what you know kyler or i think or any of our consulting team members um it's more important what you think as an organization if that's going to help you then you should certainly do it i think the general trend i see in the space is that you mentioned one which is the e-commerce integration that's a common one where you see that integration from the the customer order getting translated to sales order, which then gets converted to a, a production order, and ultimately, you know, a work in progress and a completed order, warehouse storage out to shipment, all that stuff. So, um, so that that piece is important. But I think the other part of integration that's really important, or that we're seeing more of, in the manufacturing space, is the whole Industry 4.0 trend with with getting. Um, data from your manufacturing execution systems or your, your uh, shop floor technologies that are capturing real time what's happening at each of your job shops or each step on the assembly line. Um, that data in whatever system it's being captured in, getting that back into your ERP so that you have better visibility and you can better predict you know when customer orders are going to be fulfilled or where the hangups might be happening. Um, that's pretty critical for a lot of organizations we work with. Um, and the same could be said, too, for like your warehouse management systems. Uh, we talked about supply chain management in our last session and how important some of that integration of data and technology is. And I think that's just sort of a general trend and a general pain point that a lot of organizations face is they've they've grown up and scaled and sort of put in these patchwork band-aid solutions. And then they look up one day and realize they've got all these different systems that aren't talking to one another. And now we've got to figure out how to tie it together. So I think that's a pretty common trend we're seeing with a lot of manufacturing and supply chain intensive organizations as well.
1: Absolutely. And and just a follow up piece of, of homework on kind of more of an integration front on our Digital Stratosphere podcast we recently had on um, our 2022 trend series uh, episode on integration where we kind of really dive into what that looks like. So definitely head over there if that's something that you'd like. Um, and we can drop that link here in the chat as well. But uh, an important thing, certainly.
0: We're here playing a clip from our recent Digital Stratosphere event where I take questions from the audience at that conference. Where We've got a lot more questions and answers to get through, but first we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
1: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number one hundred and ten. We're here playing you a clip from our recent Digital Stratosphere event, with some general Q and A from the
1: audience. Um, this question has to do with your presentation this morning, your keynote. Um, the last point on kind of that success slide, what key artifacts do you rely on early on?
0: What key artifacts do you rely early on? Which slide are you talking about? I'm not.
1: So the success slide, um, with, oh. where you had like the failure and then the success, red and green, you talked about some key artifacts that you rely on early on in the process. And this um, this yeah. audience member wanted to know what are some examples of those.
0: You have to forgive me. It was five hours ago and I already forgot yeah. what I presented. But uh, I guess it's because I'm old. And so my memory yeah. is flipping. But uh, no, you're no, not you're, a
1: millennial, you know.
0: Exactly. No. And, uh, you know, <laughs> They might probably on the call here but uh no the the um some of the artifacts that are super helpful I mean obviously you have your um your procurement contracts sow um, you know the licensing agreements and sort of the the initial mm-hmm. contracts you sign to when you acquire technologies and related services that's always important is as, as sort of an, a governance factor that you, you really need to manage closely and make sure you get it right up front but then even when you get into the more execution of the project you have your you know, your business requirements, for example, and using that as a way to track traceability of those requirements to ensure that what the vendor and what the system integrator and what your implementation team is delivering actually meets those requirements that you've defined early on. Uh, your future state business processes, knowing that you've got a clear blueprint for how you're going to deploy technologies. You know, we always look at that as sort of a, uh, and we, we sort of assess those deliverables in a project to say, do does this organization, does this team have a good handle on their operations and what they want to be when they grow up, what sort of problem areas they're trying to address, what sort of strategic opportunities they're trying to enable with this transformation. And um, a lot of times organizations sort of skimp on that. They think, well, I'm not going to do the future state process work. I'm not going to define my requirements because the technology will just sort of give me the answers. I don't want to have to define the processes myself when the technology is going to tell me how to do it. That's one of the worst mistakes you can make, with the exception of really standard vanilla processes like accounts payable gl you know those are some or maybe maybe procurement um some of those more let's call it common business processes but when you start getting into like your customer facing processes like Mm -hmm. e-commerce like we just talked about or um the way you produce and deliver your product or service to your uh, stakeholders or or your customers that's where you really want to have a clear vision of what you want just like you're not gonna. You know, a good way to look at it is if you're going to have a house built, which I've never done, but if you were going to, if you're going to have a house built, um, you generally aren't just going to go start hiring plumbers and electricians and drywall, you know, framers and roofers You're without having a blueprint. You're going to have a general contractor or an architect or someone that's going to draw a plan for this is what we want and here's how the plumber is going to come in and enable that, that plan. Same with the, you know, the people doing the framing, and the drywall and the roofing and all that stuff. So just like you wouldn't build a house without having your blueprint you should not, you should absolutely absolutely not be jumping straight into an implementation without having that clear blueprint up front. So that's something we assess as well as how clear of a blueprint, how clearly defined is it? Generally, it's sort of a mix, you know, sort of a mixed result or a mixed bag of um, of results with that. And so we'll generally clients get a good start on it, but then we, we sort of help them get to the next level that they need to with that. Um, same with like your Uh, having a clear vision for your architecture, your integration and your data, cleansing and migration and mapping all that big bucket of stuff, which is a huge bucket, by the way, um, that, you know, we look for artifacts related to that. Oftentimes that's an area that's missing or it's deficient. Um, And then, you know, the other part is the change strategy. What is your change management plan and strategy? I know Teresa earlier talked a lot about some of the different organizational change components and important work streams within change management. You want to make sure you have a very clearly defined deep change management plan that, that's more than just training communications. So that's those are a few artifacts that we look at. And then certainly as you're executing, you're you're constantly looking at those artifacts, you're you're tracking the project plan, you're looking at your organizational assessments to track where the organizational risks are, you're looking at requirements traceability, you're you know, when you get to end user um, user acceptance testing and conference room pilots, you're tracking the results against those scenarios and those future state business processes. So there's just a lot of sort of keeping a pulse on all those different streams and deliverables along the way.
1: Absolutely, and it sounds like based on what we heard today, that's a lot of what Third Stage's PM team does is mm-hmm. help kind of organize that because like, I don't know if you saw, but my eyes just glazed over a little bit. Like that was a lot of stuff you just listed, but it yeah. sounds like that's a a, a main um, you know uh, avenue or initiative that Third Stage helps with their client community.
0: Yeah, the real problem is millennials these days just have a lot of trouble, like just keeping up. You know, keep up with me. I think
1: that's just me. That's (laughs) just my like mom brain that doesn't get any sleep.
0: (laughs) Getting yeah, it's it is a lot, but you know, it's just giving examples too of like uh, some of those things to think about. Hopefully, give some food for thought.
1: Right? No, absolutely, all important information because if you do leave something out, then we're talking about you know an issue within the overall holistic foundation of the project. You know. Like your house scenario, you can't build a house without a door. Like I guess you could, but you know it would be pretty cold in the house, especially if you're you know in our um, environment down here in in Denver, Colorado. So, right. So this was our most popular question in um, our ask a question category that we could vote on. So this question is: What is the difference between digital transformation and digital digitalization?
0: Yeah, so um I've always wondered I've always struggled with that nuance uh, until recently. In fact, I had a um I had a guest on on my podcast that you and I host, uh, Transformation Ground Control. We have two podcasts. You talked about Digital Stratosphere and then we have a second podcast called Transformation Ground Control which by the way, you can check out on my YouTube channel. You can subscribe uh, to either podcast on any of the audio podcast platforms. So I encourage you to do that if you, if you like this sort of stuff, but which you probably do, otherwise you wouldn't be on this, <laughs> this, uh, this event. But um, on that podcast, we had um, a professor from Germany on there a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he, uh, he studies uh, quantitatively, has studied digital transformations for about 20 years. And it was a really fascinating discussion because he talked about like the, the major phases that organizations have gone through over the last 20 years. And the first one he mentioned was, was digitalization. They, they were, or I think he might've called it computerization. They were just sort of adopting some of those initial technologies just to automate and uh, capture data, create some efficiencies. Um, so it's, it's, I guess another way to think of it is there's automation, which is ma- mainly in, focused on productivity and, Mm-hmm. Um, automating processes and that sort of thing. But then when you talk about real transformation, that's where you're really getting into how can we totally rethink our business model? Um, how are we going to reorganize to support the automation of new processes or whatever? And how can we think about, think creatively about how emerging technologies can help further fuel our business model and take us to the next level of growth and success. So it, it's two different points. It, it's one's a more, one I would say is a more incremental adoption of new technology that's thats uh, maybe moving off an AS400 or moving from spreadsheets to, you know, a, a basic accounting and financial system. That's more computerization or digitalization. But when you start talking digital transformation, that's where you start thinking about AI and, you know, full end-to-end ERP systems and commerce and, you know, supply chain uh, solutions, all that kind of stuff. So I'd say that's, you know, one's more incremental, one's a one's a bigger jump. Um, and it's important to understand what it is you're trying to accomplish. Neither one's good or bad or better than the other. It's just a matter of where you are today, what makes more sense. You know, if you're stuck in the 80s with your technologies, it might be that you're just trying to computerize. But if you've implemented an ERP system 10 or 15 years ago, now you're looking to make the next big jump. Maybe you're, you're looking at more digital transformation. But either way, you want to make sure you have a clear understanding of what the pros and cons and risks are of that and, and create a strategy and plan that supports that accordingly.
1: Excellent. So it sounds like really that that transformation is the key word there, you know, really um, a bigger change within the organization as opposed to just maybe an, an upgrade or a switch of, of technology. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, that involves the human component as well, the change management and, uh, you know, that type of behavior, user adoption type of thing. So, yeah, um, this question is if. A- client or prospect has a simple system like quickbooks and spreadsheets what would you recommend as the first step towards a digital transformation would you just recommend a cloud erp as phase one quote unquote and then tackle the digital transformation as the company grows
0: um i i would start with defining and clearly articulating what your long, you know, your short and long-term goals and objectives are as a company. So over the next three to five years, what is it that's going to drive your growth? And first and foremost, what are your growth objectives? What are the keys to achieving those objectives? And how can technology better fit, you know, best fit within that landscape? So it, I don't have a, a single one-size-fits-all answer other than to say that a lot of times when companies are on QuickBooks and they're looking to what to do next, they're, they're sort of looking at at it from an accounting and finance perspective they've got that strong core to start with but they haven't been able to figure out how to automate their supply chain and their manufacturing their warehouse management um you know e-commerce or whatever else because quickbooks and systems like that just don't do that but it makes sense that early in the life cycle of an organization quickbooks is one of the first technologies if not the most you know common first technology that, or that organizations adopt because they um they're focused on financials and just kind of keeping track of the revenue coming in and the cost going out. Um, a lot of organizations we see will go from like QuickBooks to a, I hate to call it a beginner or a starter ERP, but it's often viewed that way is sort of a net suite. You know, it's a, it's a simple uh, cloud-based SaaS solution that does a lot of what QuickBooks can do, but on a more powerful level. And it can also do more than what QuickBooks can do. So a lot of times you see companies going, uh, going to like uh, to a NetSuite. But we also see organizations that are getting gobbled up by other companies, or they're getting mm-hmm. equity funding, and their their trajectory is going not just steady growth, but they're kind of going like hockey stick growth. Yeah. So it's not going to be enough to just go with a kind of a starter ERP system like a Netsuite. You might have to look at you know a Microsoft Dynamics three sixty five or a you know an Infor you know Workday or one of those you know more advanced enterprise technologies to help you really scale to get to faster growth. So it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish it, which is why I say you start with the goals and objectives of the company, translate that into goals and objectives for the transformation. And that leads you to, you know, what the best places to start are uh, from a technology transformation perspective.
1: Sure. And Dan, I was just going to call you out because I think that was your question and just let you know that we do have um, Christy Barber, who is our small business specialist, actually speaking tomorrow um, with amanda who's one of our um, project managers about scaling for growth in that area so both john and dan would that would be a great opportunity tomorrow to ask the experts really that activate those different systems or that recommend moving away from a smaller erp system um what that looks like
0: and by um, the way uh, speaking of dan it, it sort of ties back to the first question you asked me about nicola i was talking about you know how there's a lot of good tier two tier three mm-hmm. um erp solutions out there and dan is the uh head of uh, a software company called priority software and he's someone i've known for years now so that's another example of a system that not everyone's heard of but if you're a manufacturing organization in particular or a distribution type of company that can be a great um a solution so you look at you know priority software that's another name not a lot of people have heard of it's not showing up in all the magic quadrants of gardner and Forrester's, right. not touting how awesome it is but th- that doesn't mean it's not a really good solution we see we see that to be the case for, for Priority and other, other systems as well.
1: Excellent. Well, we're excited to, to hear about it from, um, from some of those specialists tomorrow. Absolutely. Let's see. Um, so this one is after scope finalization, we found a customer asking for additional development where scope increased from 5% to increase from 5 to 15% and sometimes more. Any benchmark or best practices that can afford for a vendor to change? And the rest will be a CR. Is that change. making sense to
0: you? Request. The rest will be a change request. I would um, maybe.
2: So.
0: um, I think the question is around how much you should, uh, should factor into your scope and or budget maybe, maybe, I don't know if we're getting into contingency planning here. Or, or what direction. So I'll take a stab at it and please mm-hmm. correct me here, you know, maybe re restate the question if I miss it here. But I'd say, you know, generally we we find that most transformations in general are going to, you know, it, depending on the company, you're going to find somewhere between 10 to 20% contingency that you want to set aside for the unknowns. It could be customization, it could be you're adding new modules, or maybe there's, um, you know, a, a, a new module that um, wasn't ready for prime time or wasn't released yet at the time you demoed the product, but during implementation, you find that that module has been released or that capability has been released and that's additional cost. So you find these things that aren't necessarily a bad thing. It's not that you're blowing the budget or that you didn't predict the budget correctly, but there's just unanticipated stuff that will happen like that. Or, you know, another common one is organizations, a lot of times in the midst of a transformation, go through an M&A event, they'll go acquire another company. And obviously that can totally blow a budget out of the water and blow out of the water so that's a more extreme example but still even if you're not in that extreme example you still want to have some sort of a contingency plan so that you can um have some money set aside for the unanticipated stuff mm-hmm. that comes up so i don't know that there's a good benchmark per se or or an average for what to expect as far as change requests but i'd say if you have a 10 to 20 percent contingency that's gonna give you the buffer but you still need to do a change request with your with your vendors or your system integrators if you're gonna expand the scope or you should at the very least. And that's something that uh, might be worth asking Marcus Harris as well. Uh, mm-hmm. tomorrow. He speaks about contracts and procurement and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that's a, definitely a great point. Um, how to deal with in-flight fi- in under development projects in digital transformation or in digital integration. Um, does that make that a of
0: sense? In-flight in projects or products?
1: projects so he or this person i don't know he she um however they identify in flight and then they have um in quotes under development projects so maybe projects that are in progress
0: and what to do about them or how to manage them is that the question
1: how to deal with them in a digital transformation program or digital integration program
0: i i'm not sure how to answer that because i mean every transformation is sort of in flight in your you're, uh, it's in flight until you get through it. So Maybe if they, if you don't mind restating the or to the person that asked the question, if you yeah. don't mind restating that because I don't follow what the question is.
1: Yep. So if that was your question, or you feel like you can elaborate it on it better than we can, please feel free to to pop it in the comments. Um, but we'll keep moving here. We've got a few more. Um, what are some techniques and engagement practices? to coerce hesitant board of directors or executive leadership teams to provide a quote-unquote digital vision who may not be that tech savvy
0: well first of all i i don't know that and i i don't want to slice hairs here but i wouldn't use the word coerce i wouldn't think of it as coercing the, the uh <laughs>
1: Definitely. He does say hesitant, um, too, and and we should remind everyone. Sometimes our audience English isn't their first language, right. um, so they're using a translation system. So when you see those those kind of weirder, um, weird, I shouldn't say weird, but um, not culture appropriate, um, in the comments, that's what they were. So I just want to explain that. <laughs> As right. uh, we had some people uh, saying they they loved Stuart earlier, which is great. Maybe they do, but I think we were probably just. Um, you know, talking in a, a different culture, so you, we just are, are mindful of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I assume that that's not the case, but but I think it is an important point, though. You, you don't, with any change initiative, whether you're dealing with uh, executives or you're dealing with frontline employees or someone in between, you don't want to ever feel like you're you're forcing. And that's you know, getting back to the core of of uh, resistance or why why people resist change in general. If they feel like they're forced and there's no clear reason, then you know, whether you're an executive or a frontline employee, you're going to resist right. that. Um, so it's, I just want to point that out. Yeah, good I point.
1: Absolutely. Don't,
0: don't think that was the intent of the of the question. But um, I guess I'd say that, you know, the best way to, I, I would view it as sort of getting them aligned and bought into uh, the change and recognizing the need for change. And, and generally, there's two things that come to mind. One is what I mentioned before, which is clearly defining what the, the strategy is. The strategy is of the organization, and if you're talking just general strategy, that's usually pretty easy for most executives to talk about. You know, tell me where you're going here. And then, where are we going in the next three to five years? Mm-hmm. What are the um, the pillars of our growth model? Um, what do we? How do we envision our operating model looking in the future? Or whatever you know, what are our other strategic imperatives? Um, you know, how do you envision a scaling for that growth? All that stuff? you know, or that's generally ninety nine percent of the time stuff that executives are really comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. And then what once you've done that, then you can start to translate that into, okay, let's let's talk about how this how this affects our digital transformation strategy. And it's not as simple for the executives. They just have to be, educated and understand that it's not as simple as just taking that strategy, passing it off to it and hoping that it can go deliver a technology initiative or, or a digital transformation. You really need their buy-in and their hands-on involvement in, um, making some decisions and helping set, um, set those parameters. So that, that's one thing. And then the second thing I'd say is to, um, really make sure that the executives are, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Making sure that they're they're involved day to day, you know, beyond the strategic decision, but more, um, you know, as we, for example, when we when we define our future state operating model as part of a transformation, you really want your your executive team, your mid level management, everyone to be aligned and on board with that, because the, one of the worst things you can do in a transformation is not so much whether or not the operating model is perfect or whether or not you got it right. One of the bigger challenges is whether or not you're aligned as an organization on what that operating model is. And too often, transformation project teams go off in a silo. They define a future state operating model that they think is right, but the executive team, mid-level management, and others aren't on board. So that's where that hands-on, rolling up your sleeves, involvement is so important from the executive team, and that you need them, at the very least, to sign off and validate the operating model, or, which is more common, is to poke holes in, you know, sort of work yeah. on it dodging it to make it fit their their desired strategy and future state. So those are the two things that come to mind. But I think first and foremost, you know, you want to educate them that this is not a technology project. IT is not just going to do this for you like mm-hmm. they did. Uh, you know, the, the Windows 98 upgrade 20 years ago. It's not the same thing. This is a digital transformation that totally transforms the way we do business. So mm-hmm. they need to be involved. There's risks involved with that. It's not just a technology project. You're going to need resources and, and money to support the non-technology components of the transformation, like the change management, the mm-hmm. process improvement, the data migration, blah, blah, blah. So that's those are some of the things that come to mind
1: there. Excellent. Very, very good overview.
0: We're here playing a clip from our recent Digital Stratosphere event where I take questions from the audience at that conference. Where We've got a lot more questions and answers to get through, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. This is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you have missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed you can do that now by going to stratosphere 2022.com go to stratosphere2022.com register all you have to do is put in your your name and email address uh, just a few fields you get immediate access to all the recordings and the recordings cover everything from digital strategy um, software selection organizational change process improvement architecture data migration cloud trends in the industry How to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So, hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you
2: soon.
0: Hello. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 110. We're here playing you a clip from our recent Digital Stratosphere event with some general Q&A from the audience.
1: The other one here, and and I will just mention, if you do love Stuart, he did do an excellent presentation at one of our business breakfasts about um, the role of the board in digital transformation. So definitely recommend checking out on our YouTube channel if that was your question and you you want some additional information there. and then do you have an opinion on data warehouse versus data flows?
0: No, <laughs> I don't actually. <laughs> no, I
1: don't. <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> uh,
0: no, I mean, so data warehouses is, is more of a, and the reason I said no, uh, half kidding, is that they're two different things. I mean, data warehouse mm-hmm. is, is where data is captured and you can use it for reporting and analytics and things of that nature. Data flow is just how the data flows you know, throughout throughout a system and throughout business processes, and you need both. So, I to me, it's not a do I like one over the other, or is one more important than the other? You kind of you kind of have to have them both, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Okay. Is there something like a good culture fit between potential customers and SIs slash OEMs aside from feature slash functionality evaluation? How do customers assess whether an SI is a good culture fit and is that even a thing?
0: Mhm. Oh, it's absolutely a thing. It's a really good question because it's a uh, it's something that's difficult if not impossible to capture in an RFP response and uh, you know, your typical procure- procurement processes there tend to focus on tangible deliverables and cost and scope and things of that nature, all important stuff, but at the end of the day there's an underlying thread of cultural fit and cultural alignment with your organization that's really important. Give you um, two examples. One is a product-based example. The other would be a, an SI-based example. Starting with a product-based example, and it's easy to pick on Larry Ellison and Oracle because they're the big behemoths in the organization, so I'm going to pick on them. Um, but But Oracle is commonly known for being aggressive. They're an aggressive organization. Larry Ellison, if you followed him, he's a very aggressive business person. He's brilliant, but he's also shrewd and gotten oracle to where they are today but there's a dark side to that when you're dealing with oracle they can be difficult to deal with and if you don't have the call it the more sophisticated um, maturity around your procurement and your risk mitigation and things like that it's going to be easy to get steamrolled by a company like oracle and just to give you examples you know their contracting process is very complex they have a lot of hidden costs that kick in escalators uh, they have they're notorious for going back and auditing their their existing customers to identify all the stuff they're not paying for that they should be you know as a way to generate more revenue from their current customers so they just take these tactics that aren't they're not illegal they're not you could argue they're unethical at times but they're it's within oracle's right to do all that mm-hmm. stuff um because technically for example if you're uh if you sign an agreement that your costs are going to go up that you know you agree to that right um, mm-hmm. but organizations don't understand or realize what that really means mm-hmm. so that's something you have to watch for in, in a bigger organization like i said that has a more mature procurement function and they've just dealt with difficult vendors and large vendors, that might be okay. They, they can manage it. They can, they can handle that, that sort of culture. And in some cases it fits the culture of a larger organization. Um, but for a smaller company, you might, you know, you might find that that's just not a good cultural fit for who you are uh, as a, as a team. Same with uh, on the system integrator side, we see it a lot with, with the really big system integrators where they have sort of your standard cookie cutter, business model that's meant to maximize revenue for them and it's also focused on bringing a lot of junior resources onto a project to train them and generate revenue at a high margin and that's how i started my career by the way so i i can't knock it too much because that's i I wouldn't have learned half a lot of the stuff i know if i hadn't started that way but was it the right thing for some of the clients i worked with that that's questionable um and same with these big SIs, you have to know that um You know, if if you're going to hire a big SI, you really should make sure you have really strong project governance internally and a strong PMO that can manage them. Because if you don't, they're going to manage you and they're going to tell you how things are going to be. They're going to go over budget. They're going to spend way more time and money than they should uh, because you're not managing them and you don't have the capabilities to do it. So that's an example of sort of a cultural disconnect we see often. Mm -hmm. And um, you see that more in the mid market. I mean, big Fortune 500 companies can usually handle them Mm -hmm. to, to a better degree. But mid-market companies tend to struggle with with handling a you know an Accenture or Deloitte or one of those big SIs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you just have to look beyond the skill set, look beyond just the cost that's on paper, and look at what the cost of cultural misalignment might cost you. And, and that's a certainly more of an art than a science.
1: Gotcha. Good information, certainly. Um, and we did have, I did link in um, Clifford and Adams um, section the uh, interview you did with Clifford on um, vendor management um, as well as a part of our Ground Control Podcast. So you can head over and check that out if you want more information on that. Um, This one is quite broad, but still interesting and important. So we have two more that we'll finish up um, within our hour here. What do you think the role of AI and machine learning will be for the digital transformations of the future?
0: I think there's a potential for them to have a very significant role in digital transformations of the future. I think the, the technology itself is pretty cool. It's, it's coming a long way, but I think the one, the biggest thing holding it back is not the technology itself necessarily It's that organizations aren't ready for it. I mean, most, mm-hmm. most organizations aren't ready from a, from a data perspective because they have to have really good data in order for AI and machine learning to be fully leveraged. And also from a, uh, just from a change adoption perspective, because more than most technologies we've seen over the years, AI and machine learning are, are more of a threat. It's more of a disruption to to humans. You know, it's, it's taking away or automating jobs. And, uh, you know, most organizations, I think when they deploy technologies like that or technology in general, especially in today's day and age where companies are so lean already, they're short on resources. Sort of thing. They're not looking at technology as a way to cut staff or to um, cut their, their uh, headcount that that was the case you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s when I started my career, that there was more of that, I'd say. Nowadays, it's more, we want to do more with the same amount of people. We're not looking to lay people off, but we want to be able to grow 20, 30% a year or whatever it is, but not have to increase our headcount by 20 or 30%. So, um, But if I'm an employee at a company that's going to deploy machine learning or AI, that's a threat to me because now you're telling me that you know, all this manual work that I do with my Excel spreadsheets and looking up data and different data sources and plugging it into this really elaborate spreadsheet. I spend, you know, 60 percent of my time doing that every week. You're telling me you're going to automate that and that you don't need me yeah. to do that. And even though you might have bigger and better things in mind for me, I don't know what those things are. All I see is that you're taking that away from me. And I start to panic. Like, oh, what does that mean for me? Will I have a job? Am I going to be valued in the organization? Because there's a lot of value that I bring to the organization right now because I'm the one that's able to figure out all this stuff out. And now you're telling me a computer is going to do it for me. And by the way, you know, there might be 20 or 30 other people that could use that same tool to get the same result that now only I can do. So there's a sort of pride that in tribal knowledge, gets taken away. And so, you know, we're all human. Um, we don't necessarily see what's down the line, especially when leadership won't communicate to us, what our job is going to look like, that makes it even worse. So I'm just going to assume the worst. So, um, anyway, that's a long way of saying that the technology is there. I think we'll get there eventually, but until we figure out our data and clean that up and make it AI and machine learning ready, mm-hmm. and our organization's ready, AI and machine learning, I think are going to hit. They're going to continue to bump up against a wall of of uh, adoption issues in the short term mm-hmm. until we get stuff out.
1: Certainly, and it sounds like that that human component your organization has to have an ability or a flexibility to embrace change um, yeah. and kind of a baseline of that, or it, it might in and really go wrong in in resistance categories. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, last one. What do outputs from your change management program look like? Is it Word documents, flowcharts? Do you use a specific software to represent all the flows and documentation?
0: where's Teresa when you need her you know why did you say that for me you should ask her that um no
1: they asked you we have (laughs) Teresa's questions
0: (laughs) no it's uh yeah it's a it's a combination of all the above and a lot of it depends on the the client and in their you know what resonates best with them I mean you have everything from you know and this is more on the business process side but you might have visio process flows and it's sort of like their traditional way of documenting process flows you have you know some of the outputs we bring from our process mining tools, which which Wayne talked about earlier. Um, that's those are good deliverables to help uh, visualize and quantify you know some of the process breakdowns and uh, variations in our in our business processes. Um, but beyond that, you have you know your organizational assessment, which is a, a web-based tool um, combined with a qualitative series of focus groups. That we capture electronically, you know, the results from, and we consolidate and analyze and, and create, you know, PowerPoint outputs from that to communicate, you know, what the the findings are and what some of the, um, what some of the recommendations are. So, you know, you have your PowerPoint and other um, survey collection tools that we use. Um, we where we get into um, different types of technologies for for delivery um, would be like with your user adoption and, and training. Um, you know, we have some training tools we use to provide online tutorials so that people have sort of real-time access to, um, regardless of what system you're using um, or deploying, you've got these tools that can help you uh, have tutorials real-time. Like if I'm on a screen to create a PO, I have a tutorial that'll pop up to show me what do I need to enter, you know, what do these different fields mean and all that stuff. Um, So it's more of a real-time support uh, thing. So there's a lot of different tools we use. A lot of it depends on you know, how the client, you know, what the client's culture is and how they prefer to communicate and ultimately what kind of deliverables they want to receive. But mm-hmm. uh, for us, it's more about the thought and the analysis and the recommendations that go into it, how we deliver it. That's, we're pretty flexible on that that side of it. Okay, that was a clip of our recent Q&A session our question and answer session with our digital stratosphere event that we hosted last year. Um, we uh, have some more things we're gonna cover within that. First of all, I wanna thank the audience that was part of that and asked some of the great questions but we're gonna debrief on some of that when we come back from a quick break. But first, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back.
1: Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 110. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we right before the break played the segment from our Q&A from our recent Digital Stratosphere event. What were some of your takeaways from that conversation in the the interrogation I got from the audience there.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, again, great questions. Um, and I I was listening to that clip in preparation for this episode and I kept thinking, oh man, I can't believe we've never published this before because typically it's just a registration only, even though our digital stratosphere events are free, um, free of charge. So um It's something that covers so many different bases and showcases just the overall diversification of where our audience members are within their project. One thing I wanted to talk about that you referenced was your conversation with um, Norbert, who is actually a uh, professor of ERP in Germany. Um, and it was because of a question that talked about dig- digitization versus digital transformation and where to start with that. And the, the reason I want to ask you this, Eric, is I was recently talking to one of our clients that that was saying they didn't know whether to start with computerization, which is what Norbert calls it, just digitizing your files, your records, those types of things. Or if they'd go for a full digital transformation, knowing that they're starting with green screen, very manual processes, um, so you know very, very low on the competencies of moving to uh, a digital based system. So what would be something that you would say to that client or what would be your recommendation if your organization really doesn't have a huge core competency in digitization? Can you start with that and then move to digital transformation or should you just go for it and go full digital transformation, knowing that it could really disrupt your operations and your overall culture?
0: Yeah, great question. I'd say more often than not, um, you're going to want to take a more incremental walk before you run sort of approach. Um you know, there's a, there's a school of thought or there's some, there's an argument to be made that you should just go all in on digital transformation and just double down and get rid of all your technical debt, get modernized and and move on. And that sounds great. And I think most organizations would love to do that. We'd love to tell most organizations to do that, but the reality is you can't change who you are right now. And you're not going to change overnight. If you're a risk adverse organization, you're pretty set in your ways. It, you just aren't going to change overnight. No matter, you, you can't force it. You can try to force it. and It's going to be a complete disaster. Uh, And too many organizations do that because they get sold a bill of goods by the software vendors and the SIs. They convince them that they have to go through this transformation. They've got to get rid of technical debt, all that stuff. So I think you really just have to be honest with who you are. Yes, you might be trying to be more agile and more nimble and more competitive and more digitized. That's great. Keep moving in that direction, but it's not going to happen overnight. And certainly just because you slam in a bunch of new technology, that's not going to change it. So you've got to really be more deliberate in uh, measured and how you go about that. And, and there's there's a lot of good value in just making basic incremental improvements. And then once you do that and you prove that you can do that, you start to build that muscle memory of change and techno- tech, um, just creating more of a technology-based organization. And then you can start to accelerate from there, but it's a lot easier to do that than it is to start by doubling down on a huge transformation that you're not ready for. And it's gonna uh, totally disrupt your operations to your point. That's a lot harder to back off from and to come back from than if you, for some reason, find that you you were too conservative, you started too slow. Well, then you can speed up later. That's a lot easier to do than to throttle back after you've already wasted a bunch of time and money and put your operations at risk.
1: Absolutely. Very well said. And if you want to hear that conversation with Eric and um, Norbert, who is our German professor partner um, I will link that here um, on it's a ground control episode just to clarify not um, for digital stratosphere 2022 which you can get all of those ref uh, um, those speeches that Eric referenced in those QA by going to 2022 um, stratospherecom so
0: stratosphere 2022
1: yeah there you go my dyslexia, dyslexia. yeah <laughs>
0: that's right <So laughs> stratosphere Thank you 2022com is where you can find those
1: absolutely those And so another, yeah, another thing you referenced real quick, Eric, that I just want to ask you about, um, is you had a lot of questions about, um, from your keynote in the beginning of the day for that conference about asset management and the, the contracting piece of understanding your statement of work, understanding your vendor contracts and those types of things. Um, and you kind of elaborated on that, but I, I wanted to one provide our audience with the link to the video you did with Marcus Harris to talk about the importance of contracting. But can you kind of explain the risks if you don't have all of those assets fully managed, reviewed, um, and a deep understanding of the total cost of ownership? Um, Can you understand, can you kind of explain the risks that can be associated with that piece of not having that strategic, please?
0: Yes, I Think I understand the question. I'll try to. I'll take a stab. You can tell me if I'm answering a different question. But um, so, having a, you know, first of all, you want to look at your assumptions in your contract and in the proposal that you've been given by your software vendor and SIs, and if you you want to take it all with a grain of salt and know that um, what you're getting yourself into. And so that's that's the tricky part because you've got the legal angle, which was a, what Marcus talks about in the session or the workshop that you're referring to. Um, but then you've got more of the the strategy piece of it. you know, What's the overall strategy? How much are you going to spend on this and all that sort of thing? So I think you want to make sure you're negotiating the right thing and that you're picking the right battles to fight. Um, for example, a lot of times organizations will say, well, uh, my way to deal with that is I'll, I'll negotiate a fixed bid contract and that ensures that I know exactly how much this is going to cost and problem solved. I'm not going to go over budget. Well, what happens there is it creates an unhealthy behavior oftentimes on two fronts. One is that it typically results in scope getting cut because that's a way a software vendor SI can provide certainty that they're gonna make money. So they end up cutting scope and uh, and it may feel like you, you've won the battle because now you've got a fixed bid, but actually what you did is now you've scaled back the scope and you've also, secondly, second thing it's done is it's created a economic incentive that works against you. Uh, what I mean by that is now your, your software vendor is incentivized to finish the project as fast and as cheap as possible not necessarily doing it right. And congratulations, that may be what you want. Maybe that's what you get. But more often than not, when that happens, organizations realize that that initial estimate was never realistic to begin with. It was going to be very aggressive. And now we're sort of force-fitting this artificially low number into a fixed bid model, which now creates even more problems because the software vendor... Is trying their best to reduce their cost so that they can maximize their profit on a fixed bid contract, which oftentimes entails not only cutting scope, but bringing in more junior resources, offshoring more stuff. It just creates uh, an incentive that may accomplish what you want in the short term of reducing costs, but a lot of times what it does is it increases your costs longer term.
1: Absolutely. Well, definitely great advice. And again, just as a reminder, if you do have questions for Eric um, outside of this Q&A, uh, you can comment on this video and I will pull them and put them in the question jar each week. But thank you for all that great insight. Um, and I hope that was uh, helpful to our audience here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, for playing that for us, Kyler, and uh, for the recommendations on that and the good follow-up conversation there. And thank you for another good episode, Kyler, and to the audience for all the great questions as well. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday. We hope you'll uh, keep watching and check it out. Spread the Spread the love, spread the content to your uh, colleagues and peers. I'd love to get the word out to more people uh, about this podcast. So be sure to uh, get the word out if you don't mind. And leave us a review too if you don't mind on wherever you're listening or watching. We'd love to hear reviews, especially if you're listening on the audio podcast platforms. We'd love to get reviews um, so we can get that feedback from the audience. So thanks everyone for joining. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. That was was about 60 seconds I held that.
1: that Wow, that's impressive.